Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis a deliverance service like how could you plan that and it's very very simple because god has given us authority over demonic spirits you don't have to wait for a sovereign move of god to happen for people to get delivered we've been given power and authority what do you guys think because i hear people all the time and many people asked in the questions how could you do deliverance on demand how could the sick get healed doesn't have to be some sovereign thing that god chooses to do like how is it possible that you guys are planning mass deliverance or deliverance events What what do you guys think about that well, the first thing that I could say is, and I think uh, Pastor Mike and Vlad can probably go deeper into this. Um, one, we we don't coerce God. We're not strong arming God that he has to do whatever we say. You know, God is sovereign and he's going to do whatever he wants to do. Mm-hmm. When we set up a deliverance service, at least in my mind, it's set up to allow God the opportunity to see if if he if if people couldn't have an outlet to be able to come and receive healing from God. So it's not like God has to show up at our miracle and healing and revival service. No, the service is designed that, Lord, we are in great expectation that you're going to do something because you said in your word, you're going to do something. And by faith, miracles, healings, and revivals are the secondary byproduct that happens. But it's not coercing and strong arming God that, no, you must do it, name it and claim it. That's not what we're doing. We're providing an atmosphere where faith is alive, where faith is active. We're totally trusting in the word of the living God, the 66 books of the Bible. We're believing totally for Mark chapter 16 to be in fruition in the service. And we're creating an atmosphere of faith and we're um, believing God to do something. And well, guess what? Without faith is impossible to please God. But because we enter into a realm of faith, well, God does something and people get healed and delivered. But it's never strong arming God and removing his sovereignty that he must and has to do it. But I do believe he desires to do it. And if you have faith, I believe he will do it in Jesus mighty name. So good. Mm-hmm. I wanted to just add something to that. I think people think we do deliverance despite or we, we cast out demons despite what the Bible says. We do we cast our demons because of what the Bible says. Because in Mark 1, Jesus showed up to the scene and starts out Mark 1 by casting out demons in the synagogue. So it's a ministry that was not like some say, well, it goes back 100 years. What are you talking about? This goes back to Jesus showing up in the synagogue and the start of his ministry, he goes, I'm going to start casting out demons. Mark 1, 39, he goes from synagogue to synagogue, casting out demons. And then from the start of his ministry, guys, all throughout to the very end, What is he doing? Casting out demons. And then you say, well, maybe it stopped there. Well, maybe it did until the problem is we get to the book of Acts and we see deliverance continue on, or should I say the casting out of demons continue on through the book of Acts. So we stand on the word of God. We stand on the Bible. We stand on scripture and we're not like, this is not some obscure thing. People say, well, maybe he minored. He didn't minor on this. He did this everywhere he went and deliverance. The Bible says is the children's bread. Well, listen, I mean, Luke chapter 10, verse one is a scheduled mass deliverance. Jesus sent them out two by two and he told them, go do it. And so the kind of people who say you can't schedule a deliverance, they don't know the character of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus sent a lot of people out to do it and said, cast out demons, heal the sick, pray for them. And so all we're doing is uh, we're just following in the pattern that his character set. And here's the thing. I will tell you this. When people receive deliverance, it's pretty obvious that they've received the deliverer. 
And I, I think that what, what happens is it's not just about the absence of the demons. It's about the presence of Jesus yeah, and wherever good. Jesus is, you're going to see healing. You're going to see deliverance. So at the end of the day, we're called the demon slayers, but we are gospel preaching ministers Come on. But where you're preaching and declaring the gospel Preach. and not giving people a political Jesus, not giving a, a people a woke Jesus, but where the real Jesus mm -hmm. is, you mm -hmm. are going to hear demons screaming in response to that. Why have you come? to torment me right. and so let's schedule the torment <laughs> come on i think i would add to uh, to that is jesus says that you know when the demons are cast out that the kingdom of god comes in the scene and so we all pray that his kingdom will come and we know that in christ the king jesus already has come he has brought his kingdom it lives within us and so it would make sense that every time we gather his kingdom would be visible and anytime his kingdom comes on a scene there comes a, a crash there comes a conflict there comes a a war with another kingdom and people feel that war people are under uh, oppression people live in that you know and God said to Moses he says I heard the cry of my people I see their suffering and so we're pretty much just channels all of us who believe in Jesus we're just channels of his mercy to set the captives free. To say that you cannot schedule deliverance, it would be equivalent to say that you cannot schedule evangelistic events. That's good. Like Billy Graham should have not been going around and scheduling outreach events to bring people to Christ. And so if Jesus can be preached anywhere and everywhere because it is God's will to save people, the same thing is it's God's will to set the captives free for anybody who's desperate. And I think that we all see that when people come to these events, a lot of times they come ready, they come expectant and they come desperate. And some of them they're coming under as a last hope. And so, and we see the mercy and the compassion and the love of Jesus meet them at the point of their need. So good. And I think even in scripture, we see Jesus commanding demons to leave. And even when Jesus is doing deliverance, he's not praying to the father asking, Father, mm -hmm. if it's your will, will you cast these mm -hmm. demons out? Jesus takes authority over the demons. If you look at Luke, look at, listen to this, yeah. like Luke 10, the disciples come back and say, it worked in your name the demons came out like we didn't have to ask we didn't have to beg jesus didn't say go beg for me to do it in your name and this was before they had the holy spirit all they needed was authority in jesus name they didn't have the holy ghost when they were casting out demons but they did have the authority that jesus gave them so mm -hmm. deliverance is is an action ministry of taking authority over unclean spirits you don't have to beg god god's already given us the power we don't have to beg lord please give me this power to cast out demons if you are a believer mm -hmm. guess what chat there's four thousand of you on here you're eligible to cast demons out of people you're eligible to lay hands and see the sick recover so mm -hmm. i think the the whole mindset of deliverance is it's the sovereign miracle that rarely happens when if you look at the life of jesus is that what it was in jesus's life no it didn't rarely happen historians say everywhere he went he did this john says if everything he did all the miracles were accounted for there wouldn't be enough room in the world to contain all that jesus did so we mm -hmm. we see this all through scripture okay so i got a good one for you guys i know you're gonna love this this one kept coming in and it's something we all need to answer and listen four thousand of you on we know critics are here we love you we appreciate you being here we know the guys that make videos think you were heretics we love you we appreciate you being here so we're going to set the record straight y'all right now all of us are going to answer this do you believe everything is a demon? I, I need to hear it from all of you guys. We're all going to answer this. No one's getting out of it. Do you guys believe that everything is a demon? Go ahead, Pagani, you start. 
No. No, I don't. I think I'm probably the most skeptical of the demon slayers. I consistently tell believers that everything is not a demon. As a matter of fact, I say it every Wednesday for midweek midweek Bible study, you know. Um, for us, you know, at least you have to follow the troubleshooting of scripture. Have you mm -hmm. submitted to God? Have you resisted the devil? Are you walking in open uh, obedience to God? Is there disobedience? And by the time if all of those things are checked off, that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and you're still being plagued by these inner turmoil and mental issues, then the idea of it could potentially be a demon is the logical biblical answer, yes. not just pray about it again. You know, like mm -hmm. I'm already praying. I'm already reading the word. I'm already fellowshipping with the saints. I'm already loving God, and yet I'm still being plagued, then the logical answer is that there could be a demon there. But pr primarily, that is not the first choice that you go to. You have to go through the proper order of Scripture. Submit to God, resist the devil, uh, live by the Word of God, all of those things. Then deliverance comes into play, you know, when you help the believer come to win. So my answer for me personally is absolutely not. But when it is a demon— Oh, we're gonna cast it out. And I'm not gonna say just go pray about it. We're gonna we're gonna sit there, we're gonna renounce it, we're gonna help somebody get delivered and set free. I'm not gonna be that guy to just be like the man, the temple Levite that saw the bleeding man on his way to temple and just walk over him and just keep on walking go to ahead. go worship. That's not gonna be me. I'm gonna be the good Samaritan. I'm gonna stop, I'm gonna clean him up, I'm gonna patch him up, I'm gonna pay for the hotel, and I'm gonna follow up and make sure that this person is good. Why? Because Jesus said, if you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. So my answer is, no, I don't believe everything is a demon. All right, I'm going to go next. No, I don't believe. Isaiah Saldivar, I do, well, should I say my name verse, does not believe everything is a demon. We have to be very, very clear on this because we get thrown into this camp that everything's demonic, everything's a demon. If you stub your toe, it's a demon. Not None of us believe it. I want to just set the record mm -hmm. straight here. None of us believe that. But I think it is dangerous to say nothing is a demon because to a lot of guys, nothing's demonic. And so they don't ever cast out demons. They don't ever do the things that Jesus did. But we have to remember, even if you look at all the times Jesus was accused of being of the devil it was religious let's just be honest it was religious people that had a problem with Jesus casting out demons. If you look at Luke 13, they're mad that Jesus cast out demons in the synagogue. They kept coming, you're Beelzebub. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus, was the religious people saying, you're using a demonic spirit, the power of the devil, to drive wow. out demons. And Jesus goes in the next paragraph and says, that's the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. And I can't even forgive you for that. So we have to be careful that we're not on the side of being critics to deliverance. I don't ever want to criticize people getting delivered. I don't ever want to criticize somebody getting set free. I don't think everything is a demon, but I do think a lot more stuff is demonic than the church says is demonic. And we all, I think, would agree on that. The church doesn't think anything's demonic. Oh, if you hear voices, oh, no big deal. Oh, if you have thoughts of suit, oh, no big deal. Oh, just go get a pill. And pastors are quicker to prescribe something to a demon than to cast the demon out. We're quicker to counsel the demon than to get the demon out. And even if you look at like where James says, resist the devil and he'll flee, James is talking about outward attacks when the enemy's harassing you in the day of evil constantly. He says, listen, if the devil's harassing you, resist him and he's gonna flee. He's not gonna keep wasting his time on you if he knows he can't mess with you. But that scripture isn't prescribing not to do deliverance. What no, James isn't, James isn't saying, don't do deliverance, just resist the devil. This is not a prescription when it comes to casting out demons. This is a protective measure. Hey, look, the devil's gonna harass every one of us, no matter what, he's gonna harass mm -hmm. us. But guess what? If you stop giving in to him, He's going to get bored and stop, not want to waste his time with you and move on. But you keep opening the door, 
why do you think he keeps coming in? So I think it's important that we make these distinctions because people think, they throw us in this camp of, oh, everything's a demon, everything's a demon. No. And then some of you say, well, you talk about it so much, that's because you don't ever talk about it. The reason we have to get on here and always talk about deliverance is because the church refuses to, and there's millions in bondage, so we're willing to talk about it. But again, I, I just want to say, no, not everything's a demon. There you go. There's there's my my answer there. Come on. Go ahead, Vlad. Would, Do you think I'm... everything's a demon? Um, no, but I think where the problem happens with us, why people misunderstand us a lot of times or deliverance ministers is not that we think everything is a demon. It's that we have a worldview of warfare. Mm. And because we view the world through the lens of war, it seems like that we think everything is a demon. Not everything is a demon, but we do see that life on this earth, on this side of eternity is either uh you're on god's side or you're on the enemy's side and i we don't believe in the blueprint mentality i don't believe in blueprint mentality which means that everything is god's will that is happening on this earth and mm. because we embrace the warfare mentality a warfare framework means we look at everything at this world through the lens of war we are soldiers we're not casualties of war we don't just kind of fall flat in front of everything that happens. We don't see that uh, sickness, disease, curses, and all of these things as just God's blueprint for everybody and God's mysterious will. And He doesn't reveal us that will or that reason, and we just have to accept it as, as that. And so, um, and we go and attack stuff. We go and we fight, we resist, we stand our ground, we put on the armor of God. And so, and because of that warfare worldview, which I believe this is the only view that, makes sense of why there is evil that god is not evil god doesn't will evil god is at war with evil jesus didn't thank god for the storm he didn't thank god for leprosy he did not thank god for blindness he healed the blind he stopped the storms he Come combated the works of the devil he came to destroy the works of the devil and so it doesn't mean that jesus cast out demons out of everything but he cast out demons out of a lot more things than people were accustomed to before and so i think when people begin to go into the ministry of deliverance we become surprised with how much things are um, they have this hidden agenda this demonic attack and it has spiritual component to it but I agree not everything is a demon but I do believe a lot more things have demons behind them than we realize and until if God will open our spiritual eyes I think we will not be surprised that oh wow not everything is demonic I think most of us would be surprised that wow. oh wow a lot more things that's good have demonic powers behind them than less right that's really good yeah i want i want to get to another question but i'm going to keep this brief because i feel like somebody needs to hear this it's very simple because when people come to me and say oh mike you know you don't possibly think everything's a demon it's usually an antagonistic type question but i always respond to them and say if you are not in a head-on collision with the devil it's because you are both headed in the same direction mm. it's very simple like when you're confronting the works of darkness you're going to find the perpetrators of those works it's like looking out into my backyard and saying look there's no insects but you don't crawl around you don't turn over rocks it's of course there's insects understand that there is a survival mechanism called hiddenness go ahead military militaries understand the same thing it's why every military on the planet wears fatigues because there's an advantage to remaining hidden and so here and here's the other thing pastors 
preachers, ministers, if your presence does not convict people because the spirit of the living God inside of you, the aroma of your prayer life, if you don't get into a room of people and start agitating and irritating carnality and the demons inside of them, then you better question your own walk. There's something about me that says, I wanna pray in such a way, I wanna live in such a way that irritates and agitates the demonic around me and starts to expose it. I think the real problem we have is so many carnal, compromised yes. ministers and believers that they're saying, well, not everything's a demon. And it's like, yeah, you've got to continue to perpetuate that belief Come to on. keep all your demons hidden. It's like you just have your demons on a screen in your room when nobody's watching. But Don't even make me start. Go but, ahead, bro. You know, so, I didn't know we were allowed to preach I, here. Come on. But, but you know, you know what I'm trying to say? It's like, I, I if I'm truly a man of God, uh -huh. I should be on this journey called sanctification. Yeah. I should be decreasing so that his spirit increases. And as a result of that, there's going to be demonic manifestations around me. And if, it, if demons are not manifesting around you ever, 10, 20, 30 years in your preaching career, it's because your presence comforted them instead of confronted them. So wow. good. Wow, you're oh. just preaching. I think people That's that talk playing, most man. against deliverance are those that do deliverance the least. So they're talking out of a place of not ever doing it. And then I, I would also ask people is like, if it was good enough for Jesus, why is it not good enough for you? Like if Jesus yeah. cast out demons, you're did you like did you level up to a place where you have a better like theology and a better way of doing things? So since you don't cast out demons, tell me what you do about demons. And the answer is nothing. All right, that was so good, Mike. I love that. Okay, do demons, ha and listen, I didn't wanna only take deliverance questions even though 90% of the questions were about deliverance, but we'll take some and then we'll mix it up here. Do demons have to manifest in order to be cast out or is it possible for no sign of physical manifestations? For example, burping, yawning, vomiting, for someone to get free. Like, can you get free without manifesting a demon? Okay, I'll jump in there. Um, I have had five deliverances done on me. Many of you know my story, um, and I, just for the sake of 30 seconds, um, I used to preach against deliverance. This is why no one can, at this present moment, unconvince me, because I was unconvinced at first, and then I got convinced. See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And uh, my issue uh, was, when I went through my first deliverance, nothing happened. There was no manifestation. There was no... Uh, boisterous uh, behavior. I wasn't slithering on the floor like a snake. It was, it was a legal exchange for me. It was uh, the act of renouncing. And the Bible yeah. says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. So my first deliverance, it was, I knew that the prayer that I was praying when they took me through deliverance, that I meant it. I meant the Come prayer because I wanted to be free. I wanted to be free, but there was no manifestation. There was nothing. Um, but inside, I felt, I discerned that something legally broke, even mm -hmm. though there was no manifestation for me. It wasn't until my third deliverance that happened about maybe two and a half years later as deliverances was progressive for me. But the first one I re remember initially, the first two, there was literally no manifestation. The second one, I kind of teared a little bit the third one or you can forget about it i talk about it in my book that yeah. one was ah, and i was i was like the rest of you guys watching me you know what i'm saying but the first one i didn't i didn't i didn't have an experience i didn't have like a deliverance experience but i knew that the prayer that i said and the the resolve that i made in my heart to be free i knew it was real and i discerned it 
the same way like you would discern salvation. Not everybody gets like an encounter when they ask Christ uh, to be Savior in the sense of the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they get slain in the Spirit. Some people, profession of faith is nothing more than a real, organic, personal decision of repenting of my sins, ask Christ to be my Savior, and they know on the inside, even with no manifestation, that on the inside, something happened, something shifted without full manifestation. Now, months go by, years later, whatever, and then they, they, the effects of their salvation is expressed with, you know, with being filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I would say that at least for me, it wasn't. There was no manifestation. But I would tell you this, that eventually, eventually there will be a manifestation as God goes deeper and encounters the right demon and breaks the generational curse. But that's my experience. For me, it wasn't. The first two sessions, there was nothing other than internal witness of knowing I got free. And then, but the third one, there was, there was. So good. I, I wanted to say too, is like, we don't look for manifestation. We look for freedom. So when you mm -hmm. see us, maybe you think, oh, they're trying to get somebody to manifest dramatically. We're trying to get people free, not dramatic manifestations. And if you look at Luke 13, there was a woman who the Bible says had a mm -hmm. demon. She was sick because of a spirit of infirmity. The Bible identifies mm -hmm. this is an unclean spirit in her and Jesus mm -hmm. delivered her. And we don't see in scripture her manifesting at all. She might've, but the scripture doesn't say she manifested. The Bible says Jesus uh, healed her and she was free of the demon. So there was no manifestation. I think, I think more often than not, you will see one, but you don't have to see one. There's not always a manifestation of a spirit or yelling or screaming or coughing. Sometimes people just feel it lift right off them. Sometimes people feel nothing. They're just dramatically different. As you said, um, Pagani. So yeah, I think that's, I think we, we gotta be careful that we're not looking for like something crazy to happen for it to, to right. feel like it worked. And we all feel that way. We're all like, when something does manifest, we, we are, we're like, okay, cool because we know it's working we know something's happening but also i've seen some of the greatest miracles in my life where i didn't feel anything i didn't feel any power any heat nothing and the person got dramatically healed and i felt absolutely nothing so sometimes it does transcend into the realm you can feel but i think a lot of times these things are spiritual and i just want to add this one thing guys these are mysteries like everything we're talking about tonight, these are spiritual mysteries. So if you're trying to get it with your head and where's that, I need that to understand in my head, make sense of a demon living in a person. There's, it's a mystery how a demon could take residence. How about this one? A thousand demons living in one person. These are mysteries. Mm -hmm. So we can't, we're not gonna get here on here in front of 5,000 of you and claim to know every single perfect, not just theological, but intellectual answer when these really are mysteries of the kingdom. And a lot of these mysteries are unveiled through experience. You guys wanna add to that, anybody? I think you, you outlined that, that really well. I think when the presence of God, as we see that with uh, with Paul, he took the bundle of sticks and, you know, the Bible says that when the fire started, the snakes came out and the snake, you know, fastened to his to his hand. You know, uh, you have to understand is that we, we have to understand is that demons do not want to be exposed. Mm. Uh, it is within their best interest to stay as hidden as they can. And so we're not, while we're not chasing the manifestation or definitely these dramatic uh, experiences but it does help to show the difference of the person being free 
when there is a manifestation versus when a person just kind of bases on their feelings. Oh, I just felt a release, which is still a sign that a person experienced deliverance. But in a lot of these uh, dramatic experiences, we've seen this, you know, the difference. You can see it on their face, um, you know, something left. People could feel that. And so we welcome that. And for people who uh, constantly push against manifestations, and I find it interesting that a lot of times people would push against the manifestations of deliverance but they are very heavy on making sure that people experience the holy spirit you mm. know and and they I, I call them you know like they instead of um uh slaying demons they slay people they they constantly <laughs> very on. heavy and make sure that everybody falls because if you don't fall you didn't experience god but Go then ahead. when it comes to casting out demons it's like no that's not necessary that's a pre that's not a prerequisite for a person to manifest i also would argue that it's not a prerequisite for a person to fall and there's mm. way less mentioning in the bible about people being slain under the power open it up Vlad. come on by the oh power. my lord go ahead so, I always tell people that I'd rather be a demon slayer than people slayer. But anyway, <laughs> <Come I'll end. laughs> Vlad opened it up, bro. I love it. Okay. I love it. All right. I got a little hot right there while you were talking. I love it. How about this one? Uh, when will you guys be doing a conference together? Guys, are we doing anything together that you guys could think of all in one place at the same time? Anybody want to talk about that? Come on. November. I think everybody knows exactly where we're going to be in November. You know, so in November, we're going to be at Daniel Adams, Supernatural Life, Mass Deliverance, Deliverance Training, Deliverance, everything. We wanna, we're all going to be in the building at the same time, and I'm excited about it. And those of you that are watching, you need to go register. You need to make sure. Atlanta, Georgia. Because this will be the first time in the Atlanta, Georgia area that all four demon slayers, along with John Ramirez, uh, Prophet Leon Dupree and Jenny Daniel Weaver Adams. and uh, Shane, Brother Shane and everybody, you need to be there. Yes. So November, November 18th, we're going to be out there in the Atlanta area. At least that's the first one. So we're going to be together this November. And we're all going to be together in January. We'll announce that soon, but we're all going to be together in January in California, like just like two hours from my house so that's going to be a really really good time i'm excited for that okay so we are going to be together guys all right here's a good one who's your favorite demon slayer oh no the drama starting let's start up some drama let's get some drama going let's get these by the way we just broke 5,000 views so let's stir up the pot here pagani why don't you start us off here mike why don't you start us off Who, who's your favorite demon slayer mike why don't you let everybody know i'm gonna pass that question <laughs> i'm passing i'm passing vlad or mike why are you guys looking down you guys are looking real awkward right now what's going on for me this is embarrassing because each one of you have told me individually that i was your favorite and i don't yeah, right. i don't want to make that public knowledge i would never betray your trust I, but you know on, let me pull up some text messages hold on i'm getting receipts out i'm gonna get a clip here that i have saved <laughs> just kidding. No, no what i like to do is like every six weeks i message a different one of them and just say you're my favorite and just, it, I rotate. I rotate. Jesus yeah. had favorite disciples, so don't be scared. Mike <laughs> texted me, I think it was day before yesterday, saying that he was my favorite demon slayer. So. <laughs> Come on. I like it's okay. I've, I've seen all three of you. I've screenshots. Come in my chat and say, don't tell anybody, but you're my favorite demon slayer. So we're good. We all know. Thank the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay. <laughs> How do you guys, okay, so again, a lot of deliverance questions. We have lots to go over tonight. How do you guys keep the fire burning 
despite busy schedules. Vlad, you want to start this off? Because me and Vlad talked on the phone today. I don't know if you're okay with sharing anything we mm -hmm. talked about briefly, but Vlad, how you're so busy and you really are so busy, dude. I'm like, this guy has a new university, a new book, a new church, a new this, a new stream, a new, like all these yeah. things going on. I feel lazy over here. Um, Vlad, yeah. your schedule's busy. Like, how do you find time to keep the fire burning in your life? Uh, Paul says to Timothy, um, actually, and in Book of Acts to the leaders, I think of Ephesus Church, he said, "Take heed to yourself," and then he says to your flock. And so I really believe that every person, first and foremost, must pay attention to their own self first before they are. You know, even if you're flying in the airplane, it says first put a mask on yourself, and then you put your mask on your children. You know, in case of there is no air in the cabin. And so for me, I just focus on four kind of things. One is that I retreat regularly. Um, and I'm not talking about just a prayer life um, at home. Uh, that's very important. But retreating is um, Jesus practiced that where often he would withdraw in the wilderness. Uh, Moses would go up on the mountain, sometimes disappearing for 40 days. And so, in fact, I came um, today. Uh, I went on Sunday night and uh, today uh, I arrived pretty much right before this. Um, and so I, I try to practice this now more regularly. The busier my time, the busier demand gets on my time uh, to pretty much disconnect, turn off the phone, go with the Bible somewhere um, on a mountain. Pretty much it's been like a mountain, uh, rent an Airbnb and just retreat uh, regularly. Uh, the other part is to deal with private problems because you can get filled in your time with God. And it's about it, for me, it's not just about getting filled more as much as it's a leaking less and for me it's it's about finding those holes in my uh in my soul in my mind in my heart that are causing a spiritual leakage and all of us have them and so the goal is not to not have any of them the goal is to just have less of them so dealing with my own personal problems with my any wounds any ego any insecurity especially with the lord and and with my wife and thirdly is to replenish through relationships, um, you know, with with friends, and and this is a group of my friends, and um, and I replenish through that. And fourthly, is to keep physically healthy and fit. So that is kind of all four things at the same time. I try to maintain to keep that fire because whatever I had it in the beginning, whatever we have in the beginning when we start, you know, I like to say like this is an encounter with God you know, changes you, but encounters with God, you know, they change the world. And so we have to constantly have those moments with God and we have to prioritize and we have to plan for them. Otherwise we burn out. So good. You guys have anything you want to throw in there? How you, how you keep it? Well, you know, for me, I was thinking about Sunday. I'm preaching all of our campuses, locations, and I got home Sunday night and I realized that I had ministered to everybody except for the Lord. And I think we put such an emphasis on praying for people, but what does it look like to pray to Him? And so much of our emphasis is put on ministering to people, but how many of us minister to the Lord? So I really have been finding myself more at His feet because sometimes when you do ministry, you get so close to Jesus that you unintentionally think that you've been with Him. And so that's there's good. a difference that's between good. being shoulder to shoulder with him, working with him, and then ministering to him. And sometimes it's like you can be so close in proximity to the Holy Spirit and not realize you haven't even developed a relationship.
relationship with him. You've actually just yielded to him ministering through you, but not ministering to you and you ministering to him. And so like Sunday night, I was just here in my living room, like literally on the floor, just weeping because I just had this sudden revelation, like, God, I've ministered to everyone except for you today. And so even though we live in this world where videos go viral to teach you how to cast out a demon, well, what about how to invoke the presence of God, how to increase the intimacy? I think we need to go viral with intimacy because like Vlad said, it's from that place. Jesus arose early in the morning and I've been learning the power of priority and saying, okay, if, if Jesus uh, first put prayer and then early in the morning before daybreak and then arose from that place, you know, the disciples only on record biblically ever asked Jesus how to do one thing and it was how to pray. It's good. And even that prayer was not, you know, our father who art in heaven, that prayer that he, that Jesus demonstrated went this way, not this way, you know? So it's like a, the initial part of it was God, let, let's, uh, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Then it moved mm-hmm. on to the evil one. Then it moved on to forgiving mm-hmm. other people. And so I think for me, it's just been prioritizing that way, which it is a fundamental, it is a basic. But what I've learned, and I, I feel like we got 5,000 people who want to come into the, the green room with us right now. Um, most of the pastors and ministers that I've met over the years and years Unfortunately, the closer to them you get, the less God you see. Mm. And it's because they become institutionalized, they become professionals. And you, you know, and and so it's like you can do so much out of a gift, but but there you're not doing it out of relationship. So I really made a commitment. I really I know I'm a flawed, broken, imperfect person, but I pr- my prayer is the closer Isaiah gets to me, the more God he sees. That I want Pagani to say, man, I knew Mike Pr- Prayed, but I didn't know he prayed like that. You know, I, it's and so that's my heart posture, and that's what I keep going to because I feel like if you anchor yourself in that, everything else flows from that place. So good. I wanted to add as well for me is intentionality. If I just made that up, then correct me mm-hmm. in the chat. But being intentional, I've never been in like my secret place of prayer and been, oh, I didn't even mean to do this. I didn't even mean to pray. Nobody accidentally prays. Nobody accidentally yeah. fasts. Nobody ever accidentally reads the Bible. I mean, imagine 30 minutes into the Bible, you're like, oh, I didn't even mean to read right now. I just act. Now, you accidentally sit for 30 minutes on TikTok. You accidentally sit for an hour on Facebook. Come on, y'all. Am I the only one yeah. here? So uh-huh. you have to be intentional with spiritual things. And when you, Jesus didn't say, when it's convenient, get in the secret place and shut the door. And I don't think he meant just shut the physical door. There's a door in your mind where the moment you start doing anything spiritual, what happens? I got to do this, this, there's a list of things. And when you do what all four of us do, the list is never ending. Like I could spend the next three weeks and the list will still be full of things to do. So you have to be intentional. When I go into prayer, I'm shutting the door of my mind. I'm not letting no distractions in. I'm not letting nothing stop me. I'm being intentional about it because a week or two weeks goes by and you're going like, I don't even know you, God. Like I've done everything in the name of you, but I've lost relationship. I've lost connection. Imagine plugging your phone in for a minute it's dead. You plug it in for one minute and you're one and you need to unplug it and wonder why it's dead still. Like you got to stay plugged in. You got to connect your charger, leave it in for a few hours, then unplug it. And a lot of us are just plugging in for a minute, unplugging and going, I don't know why my prayer life is dead. Spiritual life. There's, there's no substitute for literal time spent in prayer, like chronological to not, Oh, I just prayed in my mind. Praise the Lord. But there's a time where you got to get alone with God, shut everything out. And then Jesus said, geographically, The Father, God the Father, he's in the secret place. So if you're in the chat right now going like, I just can't find God anywhere, 
He's in your room. Go to the secret place, find somewhere to shut the door, and Jesus guarantees us that's where God God lives. So yeah, you got to be intentional about it. So, so good. Pagan, you got anything? You know, um, I think everything that you guys mentioned, I think we're all striving to do that. Um, there's two things that at least I've done. I, I, I've, I've learned to master that I never minister from my cup. I only minister out of the overflow, but it took me years to learn that that concept. So I don't really struggle too much in this area because I've I've learned I've learned to say no. I'm a I I just go. I'm not doing that because I know mm. that it's gonna take me. I know, I've learned to just say no. Not gonna do that. Not flying out. Not doing that. You take care of that because I know if I start saying yes, um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna have that like that ha have that quality time with God. So it took me years to get to this place, but. I am in a place in ministry where um, I don't seek God for sermons. I seek him because I desperately am in love with him and I need him every single day, you know, and anything that's going to remove me away from that. And I understand we have demands in ministry. I just learned to delegate and say, no, not going to do that, not do this. You know, it took me years to learn that. But here's another thing that I'm learning that I've learned to do. And I think you guys have seen me do this is not only am I like a minister of deliverance and an itinerant minister, but I also allow myself to go to events and I get refreshed myself as That's people good. who come to my That's events. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm so if I'm a guest speaker at an event, you'd be surprised that I don't preach like I stick around and I go to the other session because I myself need to get refreshed. So this is why um, there's a lot of videos out there of people prophesying to me and ministering to me. Why? Because when I'm attending someone else's session, as a matter of fact, even the session where we're going to be with with Daniel Adams, I could have easily just flown in, did my session and flew out. Yeah. I remember telling you guys, like, I'm not going to do that. I feel I need to stay there because I myself want to get refreshed yeah. and I want to work with the other ministers and I want to tap into the anointing that they carry as well and I want to seek God for myself so I'm not the type to just do what I need to do and then leave I actually jump in because I, I want more of God I, I want to learn more of the word so and when I go to another session or someone else's event I don't go in as Pagani I go in as Alexander I'm going in like I need some God I need that's to get touched by heaven so that's why mm. I get refreshed like I'm getting slammed and I'm getting delivered and I'm getting, you know, I'm crying and weeping because I know that if I don't, like anyone else, I will get busy and I won't have time to get out of that. So those are two things that I've learned, at least in, in these last days. I just learned to say no a lot, like no, because I know that it's going to take me away from spending time with God. And second okay. is um, now that I can't stop the ministry, well, while I'm here ministering, I'm going to jump in on the other people that are ministering and I'm going to get refreshed and I'm going to get a breakthrough and I'm going to seek the Lord and spend time with the Lord. So I'm the first one in someone else's session on the floor weeping that I need more of Jesus. Not Pagani, the apostle or whatever. No, Alex, because I love, I'm a son of God and I love Jesus and I need more of him. So I think um, that's my way of being able to just keep myself in God's presence when the demands of ministry does pull me away. So I jump in in all you guys' session because I need more of God. And I think that that's, at least for itinerary ministers, that's a good mindset to have that we, mm -hmm. you're getting refreshed, but you're also ministering, but you're getting refreshed at the same yeah. time and you're spending time with God. And another thing also, when I'm invited to speak at a church, I usually stay in my hotel room and I'm, I'm spending time with God. Like, don't Come take on. me around the city to hang out. We'll do that later. I want to be with God and spend time with God and fall in love with him. So 
Um, I don't have a thorough answer, but these are some of the things that I do that keeps me. These are the best answers. These are the best genuine answers. I love it. Okay. Thoughts on, this is the question that came in a hundred times. So we're going to talk about it. Thoughts on Ruslan and Marcus arguing and Dante Bowie being released from Maverick City Music. Okay. So uh, this is all I'm going to say about the Ruslan and Marcus situation. If you don't know, you said, I have no clue what that is. Don't worry about it. You don't need to look it up. You don't need to go search for anything like that. Here's what I'm going to say about it. My only thought, I'm friends with Ruslan and Marcus, both of them. I've done live streams with both of them. The only thing that concerns me is when you have unbelievers jumping on these broadcasts that of course because people love drama they love arguing the numbers go crazy when you start getting and arguing with somebody my concern is unbelievers get on there and say this is why i don't want to go to church look at these two guys screaming at each other arguing back and forth you know it wasn't a calm debate bruce on himself said it was got wild and i think that when you get on there and you're both yelling back and forth at each other it's a bad look for the church in general and for the body of christ in general and it brings reproach to christ no matter what you say whoa not really brother we need to have good debate i think when you're on there arguing and yelling at each other about bringing up someone's past bringing up this about the other and they're they're just going back and forth i just don't see where the benefit is because they could have done that offline they could have done that on a phone call. I know a lot of the chat was saying, why don't you just do this offline? So that's my concern about the whole situation. I don't really want to go deep in it. And as far as the Dante Bow being released from Maverick City, let me just say this. Maverick City publicly, publicly, I'm not gossiping, rumors, drama. This is not drama. Publicly, and Dante Bow have publicly posted videos of them drinking hard alcohol, telling dirty jokes, and saying very worldly things. So they, they're willing to go out and put that out. It, to me, it's like, I'm, I'm not shocked by it, just like I wasn't shocked with what happened with these other ministers that fall and stumble. I just pray for them. Lord, restore them, renew them, give them your grace, just like I need your grace, they need your grace. But yeah, I don't. it doesn't really shock me. I think that if there's, you know, if there's smoke in the horizon, there's probably a fire started somewhere. And I think right. that these early signs of drinking and partying and posting it on your on your page with no conviction about it is kind of early signs of something like this happening. Do you guys have thoughts on the whole situation or you guys want to add to any of that? Why is everyone getting I quiet missed, all of a sudden? I, I missed that. I wasn't, uh, I was out of town, so I didn't see the live stream, but I, I heard a little bit about it and, um, and, I, and I'm a little bit unaware of what Dante did or what, or what's, what's the situation. But yeah, I agree with you, Isaiah, on that. I think that we need to avoid um, this, this stuff and causing problems for the uh, new people not to step in into faith by creating fighting for views and everything. So yeah. I'm curious to hear what Mike has to say. You guys I'm, are leaving I'm, me yeah. out here on a branch, no, listen, bro. You guys I'm are back. leaving me I'm out back. here. Listen, I just said I love Ruslan and Marcus, all right? Come on. I'm curious I've to hear what Mike has to say. About it. No, no, listen, I've got, I've got a lot to say about it. I mean, the Dante Bo situation, let me just tell you, I'm going to throw myself under the bus. I spent years and years and years trying to justify what I could get away with. And when you're living that kind of Christian life, I understand the Christian liberties conversation. But at the end of the day, if you truly believe that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you and he's accompanying you in the rooms that you walk into and he's there, I think so much faith allows us to see the eternal. And what happens is if all you see is with your physical eyes, what's around you, you forget his presence. You forget that he's there with you. There came a point where I had to ask myself if Jesus was physically represented 
represented in this place with me? How would he think? How would he feel about what I'm doing? And so I've now gotten to the other point where it's like, yes, I'm free to do it, but why would I ever use my freedom that way? Mm-hmm. And the, the, whole, the whole thing about it is this. I think that carnal Christianity is just straight up Christian flavored atheism. And just just go ahead and admit it because when you're when you're doing the things that they're doing and living the way that they're living, there's a there's a level of atheism that needs to be addressed to say, um, you know, what why are you receiving a counterfeit comfort? You know, it's like we've got to get to the point where we exchange wine for the new wine of the Holy Spirit. Come on. I'm just so sick and tired of sitting at tables with ministers trying to tell me about Christian liberties while they're five drinks in, doing right. shots. You know that they're legally drunk. And for right. somebody who overcame alcoholism through right. the power of Jesus Christ, I'm speaking into this. It's like every single time that I've had the argument with somebody, it's not an intellectual argument. It's mm-hmm. literally them speaking out of a wound that they're pouring alcohol into mm-hmm. to try to satiate mm-hmm. and replace the Holy Spirit. So that's how I feel about that situation. Right. The way that I feel about the Marcus Rogers uh, discussion, I was there, I watched it, and I just want to say I've been guilty of this as well. So again, I'm putting myself out there. But the thing that I've been trying to deal with in wisdom is whatever you do to get views is what you have to keep doing to get views. And I will tell you yes. guys this, I've done reaction videos, I've done it all. Go, some of it's still up on my channel. It's like, I'm not throwing stones, but I will tell you this, more and more, I, would, I wanna be known as a Bible teacher, not yes. a reactionary. I wanna be known as a minister, not, and so that's the direction I'm going because this vitriolic, hateful, venom spewing thing, this egotistical, I have to protect and preserve my identity. To me, minister, ministry is the opposite of ego protection. It's actually, I died to myself. Mike Signorelli is a dead man walking, I don't exist. Mm-hmm. And I think what I see in a lot of this stuff is the world needs spiritual fathers, not spiritual brothers. And what happens is you you watch the brothers duking it out on the internet and the world's like yearning for maturity. It's yearning for fathers. And so when I watch that discourse play out, like you said, it could have happened. But here's the problem is when it's monetized, when it's connected to, to the algorithm, there's ulterior motives that are connected to it. And what you do on the internet, it carries a different set of, uh, it, it carries this different set of metrics. And I'm not saying I always get it right, but the journey that I've been on, and maybe I haven't been posting as much, I, is really going before the Lord and saying, this is about legacy. When people go back and look at my catalog, are they going to see a man of God who's faithfully preaching the word, praying for people, seeing them through, or are they going to see somebody that was gaming an algorithm for likes, views, subscribers, and money? And so I don't serve mammon, I serve Christ. And I think that for that conversation yesterday, I seriously question a lot of that. And even for me, and I I know I'm going on, I'm going to kick it over to Pagani, but to see other men of God in the chat, and, and I, I'm taking my moment. Y'all could be mad Go at ahead, me, bro. Go ahead. Like, say I'm, it. It's like, say what we want to say. Why are we feeding this? There's a gap right now. The generals, David Wilkerson's gone. There, you know, Miles Monroe's gone. The generals have died. We, there's a baton being passed, and there's an obligation for us to ch- stop changing poopy diapers and to grow up and to say, I'm going to walk in maturity. I'm going to put away childish things. But the problem is, the, it's like I said, 
here's the thing. I released a video about why I think women can be preachers. If somebody re makes a reaction to the video to that, well, so what? There's millions of theologians who agree with me and millions yeah. who disagree. And go get an MDiv. It, take the same energy that you're spending in the comment mm -hmm. section and write a research paper and go get a degree. But it's fruitless. And I think that we're getting played right now more than anything because we're taking energy, which is a finite thing and we're cashing it in into comment sections and the mm. kingdom's not expanding and the and the devil's laughing because he's like look it's not a demon i just let your flesh take over and y'all are in the driver's seat so that's kind of how good. i feel about it that's you know, pa you know pastor mike said a lot and uh wow just you have to tread lightly i have to tread lightly on how i, I kind of respond to this let me just say this i did speak to ruslan earlier as a matter of fact he's texting me now you know what i'm saying i have a a good relationship with him that we can have conversation. And I, I told him, and he, I know he doesn't mind me sharing this, you know, cause it's, you know, it was my honest thought, you know, I thought, um, well, well let, let me, let me first say what, what Pastor Mike said before I actually get into that. Um, one of the frustrations that we have as influential uh, ministers, aside from deliverance, let's just remove the deliverance part, just an influential minister is we become privy to situations within the body of Christ that we have to be confidential about. So I already knew about the Dante situation, the drinking going on in Maverick. I been knew that. Why? Because when these influential personalities need deliverance or the topic of freedom comes up, they, they, they call on all four of us. They will say, do you know Pagani? You know, or, or they know somebody that knows me. So I already had been made privy, you know what I'm saying, to what was going on there. But because God can trust me with people's mess and I'm confidential, I just prayed about it. But I was aware. I knew the inside thing because some of these individuals, they come to me secretly asking me for deliverance and then begging me not to say anything. And I don't. Amen. Because love covers a multitude of sins. You know, I've indirectly said some stuff on Facebook, on social media about, you know, holy living. This is the reason why I'm always talking about it. And I'm always blasting about these influential people not living right. And they go, why is Pagani? That's the only thing he talks about. It's because I'm, a, I'm made aware of things. I have some of your favorite preachers that you look up to. These folk ain't walking right. They like not walking right, period. You know what I'm saying? And some of them are malicious and most of them are really struggling and they're looking for help. And if there's no one they could go to, they will end on a dark path. Mm -hmm. I told Ruslan what I felt about yesterday. I felt that the back and forth at one point did, uh, was not beneficial for the body of Christ. But I understand why both parties are saying, I said, Marcus had his views and I felt that, you know what? I think he, he's right on that. And I felt that there was some stuff that Ruslan said that he was right on that. And I said to him, and I no problem saying this, Ruslan, I know you're watching, you know, I said what I think both parties kind of messed up on was the name calling. Okay, so when Marcus called him, you goofy, he is violating Matthew chapter six. It says, do not call anybody an idiot. Do not call, do not slander anybody's character unless you'll be danger of hellfire. So I felt that um, that's not how you begin a dialogue by slandering someone's character and calling them goofy and lukewarm. You don't know nobody's heart. But I can understand why he said that based on what is being perpetuated online. All right. Then I said to Ruslaw and I said to him, I said, well, I think you might have been doing a dig was you brought up Marcus past that he's already addressed and you kind of brought it up again, you know, and I said, man, uh, 
he looked like a dig, like you were digging him. You know what I'm saying? So at that point, anybody's going to start arguing and trying to defend themselves. So the vast majority of the conversation was about defending themselves, you know, on both both points, you know. And that's where I told him that I felt that it was wrong. Now, here's one thing that I did tell him, because I didn't leave that comment about secular music opening doors to demons. I said, now, let me give you a Bible study about what the Bible actually says. Now, being exposed to secular music does not open a door to a demon, but consuming it where you're eating food offered to idols, not that you're worshiping the idol, but the Bible condemns specifically in the book of first Corinthians chapter seven, Romans chapter 14 and Revelation chapter one and two, where he said, I'm mad against you, church of Ephesus, not because you're worshiping idols, but because you eat food offered to idols, listening to secular music when it doesn't take you to hell. All right. But if you being exposed to it does not open a door to a demon, but there is secular music that does open the door to the devil. It does. There's no way around it. You can find it all over scripture. You find it in the life of King Saul. You find it in the various places all over scripture. Now, if a believer is exposed to it in the supermarket, obviously, or the elevator, or it's, it's trending on, on YouTube, and you play and you watch the video, you're not opening the demon on your eyes. But there are demons on videos. There are demons on videos. Now, that's a whole other topic. The last thing I'll say is this. I said, now, if a Christian is consuming it, which means they to eat food offered, the word eat in scripture means to consume. But it's also a financial term, consumerism. So if a Christian is buying secular music, a Christian is a fan of secular music, a Christian has as a role model these secular artists, you are eating food offered to idols. You might not be worshiping them in place of Christ, but you're you're consuming there. You're getting your daily bread from where this coming from. And that will open a door to a demon. And that I did tell Ruslan, I said to sit here and say that no secular music doesn't open a door to the devil. You are wrong on that because you yourself don't know that. Not to sit here and say that being exposed to secular music, you're going to get a demon. That's we don't even teach that. All right. Because yeah. then we'll hide in the cave. Then we can never come yeah. out of the cave because there's secular everything everywhere. So I did have that conversation with him. He's my friend. Not against it. I just I felt that it just wasn't a good look. But I wasn't going to leave the secular music thing. And then I just told him to end. And I know I'm not. I don't want to make this about Ruslan because he's my good friend. Um, and I know that he's probably watching. I said, Ruslan, all I'm asking is this. Do not allow what happened yesterday to cause you to go down a dark path. And now, now you're saying things like if you believe Christian listening to secular music opens the door to a demon, you then don't watch my channel. I said, don't talk like that. I said, Christians should not talk like that. Why? We should always leave an open field for us to have dialogue. And your channel has been always known for having great dialogue. Don't cut off people who think and believe that. School them and talk. But that's as far as the conversation went. And he's my friend. And I and I believe that Marcus and Ruslan both had valid points. And I think they both were wrong in a bunch of stuff. But I, I want to just know, add something for those in the chat that are confused. Like what what is the what was the topic? The whole debate that Ruslan and Marcus had just to catch you guys up was could it could you get a demon from listening to music, worldly music specifically? So that was what the whole thing. Pagani's talking about that entire thing that happened. And we I personally guys, listen, 
I've cast out thousands of demons. I'm just going to give you my personal story here. I've never met a demon that came through a song. Personally, I could be wrong in it. I've never. But also, let me give you the other side of it. I know that music is used in the occult to do rituals and to invoke demons. Music, certain types of music. I know that the devil has... Now, a lot of people say the devil is a worship leader of heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not say the devil is the worship leader of heaven. Although, the devil has musical instruments in his body, we can probably deduct that he did music in heaven. If he has musical instruments in body, we know. But it doesn't say he was a worship leader. So we know the devil is going to leave heaven as a fallen angel and do music on earth. We know music has power. I don't think that you can get a demon from listening to a worldly song, but I do think that worldly music stirs up lust in you. I think worldly mm -hmm. music can lead you to activities that get you demons, but I don't think you can get a demon from listening to a worldly music at the store. And you guys all know, I have a video on why Christians should never listen to worldly music. I don't listen to worldly music. I don't believe any Christian should, but I don't, I would never go as far to say as like, if you listen to that, a demon's gonna come into you. But I do think the things that they talk about, sing about can lead you into demonic influence and can lead you to opening doors. And I think there's a whole side of, all right, let me just say this. I said this to my chat last night. And again, if you guys don't know, we're talking about can demons come through music. I was in a metal band from the ages of 13-ish to like 17. I was hanging out with all guys and girls that were 20s and 30s. This is on record, 20s and 30s. I was the youngest guy in our whole group and I was playing metal shows. Like if you don't know what metal is, it's screaming, growling. And I that promise you, you preaching. That yes, yes, yes. Listen, <laughs> listen, I played drums in a metal band. We did tours, shows, like hundreds of young people, mosh pits. I've been knocked out on three different occasions. Okay. In mosh pits. <laughs> I was in that world. Mike, you were in that world too. I promise you what we were doing was demonic. Okay. I'm telling you right now <laughs> we did. Mike knows I'm telling the truth here. We did some demonic junk and that dancing and mosh pitting it's demonic y'all. So there is an element to music being demonic. I think Ruslan who's watching would agree with that. There's an element to music having spiritual power, but on the flip side, that wasn't the argument. The argument was, could it open a demon? If you listen to a secular song, like in a bus or at the mall or at the beach, I don't think it, I don't think so. Personally, I don't think so. Just like I know people are going to hate me for saying this. I don't care. I don't think if you drink a monster energy drink, you're going to get a demon. I'm just saying monster. Remember the whole thing of like 666 Hebrew. I don't think you can drink a monster energy drink and a demon comes into you. And if that, if you do believe that, then you can't drink literally anything because every company you go buy from every Starbucks, Dutch brothers, they're all, they're all worldly companies. They're all secular companies. So I just don't want to live my life thinking that everything I do gets me a demon when it's just not true. I know, I've had demons cast out that came in through horror movies. I've dealt with people that got demons from movies, from what they've watched. I just personally, and you guys could say if I'm wrong, never encountered a demon that came through a song. Although I do think there's power in music in the occult and other thing, but that's not what we're talking about now. Do you guys all agree on that? We all good thumbs up. Can we move on? Okay. So we're going to move on. Okay. Can a person who doesn't repent or renounce or want to be delivered can they get delivered? Because someone says here, I have a family member that wants nothing to do with God, but they manifest demons all the time. I want to see them get free. Can I get them free without them wanting it? What do you guys think? Did I lose you guys? All right, I'm going to answer. Listen, hold on, guys. The whole chat has been spamming throughout the broadcast. Isaiah talks too much. I gave y'all a chance. I gave y'all a chance, Mike. I see you laughing, bro. I could see oh, you guys. Man, okay. No, 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 gave no, no, no. I gave y'all an answer on the I last one I that's ruining relationships. I gave y'all a chance. I gave y'all a chance. You're thinking about what we were just talking about, like what are the ramifications are going to be after oh, this? Oh, we already know they're going to make videos and clip it. It's all good. Okay. I don't personally believe you could force deliverance on anybody. I don't believe it's just like you can't force salvation on somebody. Anytime you see deliverance in the Bible, it was somebody coming to Jesus. 
somebody wanting to be delivered. You say, what about the man at the tombs? The Bible says when Jesus arrived at the tombs, the man approached Jesus and got on his knees. Yeah. So even the man at the tombs came to Jesus willingly. The Syrophoenician woman came to Jesus and said, listen, even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. There has to be, if you've ever done deliverance, you know this, a sincere desire for freedom. Because demons and the devil, chat, please hear me, recognize free will. Free will is a real spiritual reality. So if you don't want to be delivered, if you don't want to be saved, God is not going to force you to be delivered. God is not going to force you. Now you say, well, I saw a guy in front of a drugstore or a 7-Eleven casting a demon out of a homeless guy that didn't want it. He wasn't casting it out. The guy was just manifesting. Okay, we can walk up to any person and get them to manifest. That Just because somebody's manifesting a demon doesn't mean the demon's coming out of them. So don't assume that because someone's growling or screaming, a demon's coming out. So I think free will's involved. I only do deliverance on people that want it. And you got to want your deliverance. Y'all are getting quiet more than I want your deliverance. You got to want to be set free more than I want you to be set free. So I think, I think it matters to be able to want it, to, to repent, to serve God. I personally won't do deliverance on anyone that doesn't want to serve God, that doesn't want to turn to Jesus because it's pointless. They fill the house. They get the demons out in the house. The demons come back and fill the house. Like you got to fill the house with Jesus. There's no point in leaving the house empty. And if you don't serve God and get filled with the Holy Spirit, you're leaving the house empty and the demons are able to come back. So I think, yes. Do you guys want to add to that or you want me to move to the next one? Well, I mean, I'll I say would, I would add. Okay, uh, go ahead, there are there are cases, though. I do believe where God. I I don't think it's an exception. I don't think it's um, it's something that doesn't apply to every single case. It's not the rule. It's the see, exception. Yeah, yeah. In the book of Acts, I mean, you see the woman who was speaking about Paul. Uh, you know that Paul and Silas. These are the servants of Most High God. We don't see now. Again, we don't know the full story. We don't know if she maybe was pleading. Maybe Paul discerned that she was really wanting to be out of this trap. Maybe she was. Uh, wanting to be delivered but we don't see her asking for deliverance um, we see uh, Paul just casting out a demon and in the case even of the woman uh, that had a problem with her back you know also we, we don't see that uh, this woman is asking Jesus could you deliver me or could you set me free so I do believe there are cases where the power of God is present and uh, either people because God sees their hearts and he just forces those demons out and now they have an opportunity to repent and they come to know Christ um, because I, I've been involved in a few cases where the person was brought by a uh, friend and you know the demon started to manifest and we can we couldn't get to the person until the demon was out and then the person was like uh what was happening to me and so when we tell them we actually would show them the video then they would accept Jesus Christ and stuff so I wouldn't say that that's that it's a case where it cannot happen because we do see references in the Bible where the kingdom of God makes a forceful entrance um, in a person's life in the village or in the city and a person uh, demons can be forced out the same way for example there's a way to get I had rental properties and one time I had a tenant who did not want to pay and uh, you know I offered to pay for him to leave uh, like a thousand dollars I'm like hey could you just kind of move out and I don't want to get the legal system involved and so um, he didn't want to do that so I had to get the legal system involved and then the police officer came in and pretty much escorted him out now to say that I couldn't force him out of my own house like it would not be true I could force him out I could get my cousins my relatives and could force him out it just wouldn't work 
in in the long term and so i think that we probably have witnessed i mean i've, I've seen in our ministry and i know ministers who have experienced and we see this in the scriptures where the power of god has caused demons to come out but what happened afterwards i think it's what isaiah you're referring is that if, if they're not going to commit their life to christ then did we really help them probably not so good okay let me for the first time in history just push back on this vlad okay uh-huh. the girl that was i'm glad you said that because i look at the story and i've i've read the story over and over pondering this how could paul deliver her when we always teach you know you got to want it and i've dealt mm-hmm. with so many demons that wouldn't come out because they simply said the person doesn't want me out and the person didn't want them out do you think that if she was following paul for several days i guess my question is what unbeliever do you know would follow you around listening to you preach for several days and declare you're a man of god but not want what you have so do you think it's possible is this a possibility and again i'm just pushing back you tell me is it a possibility she followed paul for several days wanting to be a part of the the believers wanting to be free wanting to serve i don't think do you think she wanted to be a slave girl and a fortune teller or do you think something in her said i want to be free i want to serve god i'm these guys are speaking the truth and she followed paul around for days the bible says and because one guy and the reason why i'm saying this is i listened to a guy who's pretty scholarly say he's convinced Mm -hmm. she was a follower and the reason why he said he was convinced was his point was what unbeliever atheist or satanist do you know would follow you around for days saying you're a man of god but never want what you have do do you get what i'm saying there so is it possible Mm -hmm. the demon suppressed her and was like i don't want you to be free but inside that girl was like man i want to be free she's spending days around them she's following them around for days paul gets annoyed he goes listen this girl's following us around she's demonized i i felt annoyed with her but the original greek word wasn't annoyed like mad at her it was more like man i feel bad for this girl i'm frustrated i'm annoyed Mm -hmm. by what the devil's doing is it possible that Paul was like, I'm gonna deliver this girl because she's following us around for days. And obviously she doesn't mm-hmm. want to be a slave girl. Cause the Bible does say she was a slave girl, a fortune teller. Mm-hmm. So she wasn't, yeah. I, I don't know any girl that wants to be a slave or like, I want to be a slave fortune teller. Yeah. I think sincerely she wanted to be free and she was following Paul. Do you think that's plausible or no? Tell me Vlad, cause I, I'm I think just, it I'm is. I, I don't know her heart. I think God knows her heart and yeah. Alexander would know the truth. <laughs> well, I, I think- What do you think uh, Pagani? I, I, I think I think that there was well, let's put line upon line scripture, uh, scripture, uh, scripture upon scripture. Okay, the man with legion. If you really read the story, it says that he ran to Christ, yes. bowed down, and worshipped. Yep. It says that he worships. So obviously, we know a demon is not going to worship worship Christ. There'll be there'll be reverence to, for Christ. So I think that there was maybe a small portion of the man's personality that was there that that mm-hmm. realized, I think this man can help me. I think with the story of the damsel with the spirit of divination, it might fall along the same lines, same lines as that, with the exception of a different outcome, because we don't find her afterwards being a disciple of Christ. You know, mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't hear from her anymore, yeah. but I think there might be. It's kind of like the same thing, because I hear sometimes you know, uh, antagonists against deliverance that say, why would a demon let the person go to a exorcism and a deliverance? Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like they say that a lot. Yep. And that's that I think that the person is still in there somewhere. Yes. They're still yeah. in there somewhere. So I think in the area of the will, if they desire to be free, even though they are not demonized, maybe even possessed, I think that they can still control some of the actions that they have and get themselves to a place where they can be free. So I think the story with the damsel, with the spirit of divination and the man with legion is both the same. You can't follow somebody that you're not interested in being set free from. And then the man with legion, it says, when Jesus got on the shore, he ran to Christ, uh, bowed down and worshiped him. 
Doesn't say the demon, the man was worshiping Jesus. And then right after that, the demon starts talking. So there's this, I think that, I think it's safe to say that it's plausible that yes, that that, that theologian that you're talking about, he might be right in the sense of that there probably was a desire for her to be a follower of Christ or maybe had made some sort of personal decision on her will too. And to, I don't, to I don't. Free. I don't disagree with you, Vlad. I agree with you. And I don't ever want to say someone can't be delivered if they don't want it. Cause I, I agree hundred percent. God can do literally whatever God wants to do. I just think the yeah. pattern I've seen is when people don't want it and maybe it's something I'm lacking. Maybe I need to learn a better strategy or I'm working things out in my own deliverance journey, casting out demons. But I've always found it so hard to cast demons out of people that don't want it. Like people bring their kids like, yeah. oh, my son doesn't want to be free, but we pray for yeah. him. It's like, I, I've tried, I've prayed, I've spent hours. I just haven't right. seen it, but that could also be, I'm not at that level. That could also be, I'm growing and learning. I guess it just, but I don't want to say I disagree with you. I just wanted to bring mm -hmm. that other side of it. Like maybe there's, there's some nuance Isaiah, to it. Uh, sometimes there are people, we've seen it where uh, where a husband brings a wife for deliverance. He doesn't think he has a demon and uh, we're praying for the wife, nothing happens. Yes. Beginning to pray for the husband and he begins to manifest, God delivers him. He didn't even come for deliverance. He didn't know he needed deliverance. And so he brought his poor wife for deliverance. Turns out that he is the one that had a deliverance. Or sometimes like this happens in a lot of ministries I've seen in TV Joshua where, you know, people would come to church who were coming to either seduce the man of God or do some harm. I was in the church in TB Joshua where a guy came to bring a bomb. He actually brought a bomb, a terrorist, to ex burn the building down and the, the power of God arrested him and he mm. got delivered right in front of me. He was not wow. there for deliverance. He was, not, he was a Muslim, never stepped into a church in his life. And so, but again, I, I do believe sometimes God releases this like super grace. Uh, I'm not saying this is an exception or it's okay. a, it, I'm not saying it's a rule for every single situation. A hundred percent, you know, God can force it on a lot of people, but at the same time, I was a part of some gatherings where people did not want to be there and the power of God just bam hit him and like the guy just repented right after he was delivered and accepted Jesus Christ. Of course, the Nigerian police right away arrested him and <laughs> put him in jail. So well, good. Also, so good. Also, also to add to that, you know, I, I think Isaiah, there's a difference between dealing with people who are demonized and then dealing with someone who is possessed. Yeah. So in both stories of the spirit with divination, that wasn't a Christian being demonized and needed the ministry of deliverance. Mm -hmm. She had a spirit of Python. She was not a believer. She was not converted. See what I'm saying? Right. Um, the man with Legion, he was not born again. You know, That's the message right. of the cross hadn't even been in effect because Christ hadn't mm -hmm. died, you know? That's now, good. You see what I'm saying? So, but when That's you're dealing with demonization, you're talking oh. about not owned by but possessing so i think there's a lot more the person's will and desire mm. i think the rules change when you're dealing with a christian who is demonized as opposed to an unbeliever who is possessed so mm. if they're possessed also i want to add to this and we'll go on to the next question the ministry of deliverance is not the only display of power that god uses to convert a skeptic in a service you have the gifts of the spirit you mm. have a word of knowledge you have uh, the preaching of the preaching of the prophecy. You have also the preaching of the cross. Primarily the preaching of the mm -hmm. word of God is probably the most effective. You know, they came in. I don't want to hear anything about no Jesus. Um, I don't know about no, this demon stuff. And then the man of God is anointed. He's preaching the word of God. Mm -hmm. 
convicted. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 talks about the gift of word of knowledge and prophecy starts revealing the secrets of men's heart. And they mm -hmm. bow down and say, truly, God is among you. Um, yeah. An act of kindness and love on the act of the church members and the ushers in displaying by this, all will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So they come in demonized and an usher hugs them and say, welcome to the church. And that act of love can also display the power of God when they go from being an, an antagonist to an embracer. See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, think, I think it's mysteries. Like you said, Isaiah, I think there's just a lot of mysterious uh, displays of how God can reach someone in a service, whether they're demonized or whether they're like full-blown possessed. So it's, I think it's a mystery. That's good. I think one error that I've made even in this conversation is I sometimes will say, this is how it is. You can't be delivered if you don't want it when you can't make absolute statements like that. We all know there's a million nuances to deliverance. Deliverance is never black and white. Every situation is different and there's variables. And so for me, what I'm learning here and you guys talk is that it's not always just if you don't want it, you can't be delivered. If you do want it, you can be delivered, but there's exceptions. God can move in mysterious ways. And so I think I need to be more, uh, I need to approach it more of like, hey, God can. And I, I try to do that when I say things, I'm like, hey, God can do whatever he wants. So ignore what I'm saying if God overrules the rule. Mm -hmm. But I, I think just systematically is what I'm more talking about, but I do need to leave more room for for God. Cause I don't, I don't ever want to, go ahead. Isaiah, the, the same thing is with self-deliverance, you know, like yes. the Bible doesn't really talk about that, yeah, but there are cases of people experiencing it. It's yep. not, it's not cool. You have to get demons out of you and somebody else praying for you. But we see people, and I mean, we have videos about self-deliverance and people watch those videos and get delivered through them. Yeah. So I think that God is so much bigger, uh, but we stick with the essentials. We stick with the revealed truth, but also God and his grace. I mean, I think it was John Ramirez's testimony where like God, you know, saved him right there in hell when he was going in his vision. You know, like that. that is not really the biblical prescription of salvation, you know, when somebody's yeah. outside of the body, but it happened to him. And look, till this day, he's preaching the good news. And so... And God has done much weirder things in scripture. We've talked about that before. Yeah. Okay, here we go, guys. Next one. We're changing it up a little bit here. And we have 5,300 on. And I'm going to keep you guys hostage because you guys, it's been five months since we've been together. So I hope it's not too late for you guys. Is once saved, oh. always saved biblical? And this is what they wrote. This is a question that came in. They said, I heard oh, someone yeah. say that I wouldn't abandon my kid no matter what he does. If we're all sons and daughters of God, how can you be... How can you no longer be a son? So I guess what the person asking is saying, like, if I'm a son of God, how could I lose that and not be a son? Okay, let me take a crack at that portion. Then you guys can talk about it as well. The Bible says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing is made that has made. In was life. The light was all mankind. The light shines dark and the dark have a comfort. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. It goes on and on and on. And it says... To him who is born, not of human decision, husband's will, but born of God, he gave right to become children of God. So God in John 1 gave, gave right to become children of God, not born of human decision, husband's will, or natural descent. It's a right to be a child of God. There's not one person that's born a child of God according to scripture. In fact, the Bible says we're children of the devil. Jesus told the Pharisees, you're just like your father, the devil. So if you read all the way through John 1, and years ago I memorized all of John 1, it's, it's very, very long. I kept stopping. Every time I was working on memorizing John 1, I was stopping at, he gave them right to become children of God. So mm -hmm. that means this. My children aren't, I've, I didn't give my children right to become my children. They're my biological children. We are not, and again, unless you're a Mormon, we are not biologically children of God. God gives mm -hmm. us the right to become his child. So the mm -hmm. same way God, and I know people are getting mad on this, is what your Bible says. You can be a child of God, live in a life of sin. This is what John says, 
and be considered a child of the devil after already being saved, after already being a child of God, because you practice sin. And John is writing to believers when he says, you're practicing sin, you are of the devil. You are a child of the devil. Pharisees, Jesus said, your children, just, you're just like your father, the devil. So we get the right to become children of God. Can God take away the right? God can do whatever God wants to do. So the one saved, always saved. I believe, you guys can push back, you guys can argue this. I personally believe it's a false doctrine. I believe it gives people a false sense of security. And I believe if once saved, always saved was biblical, there would be no great apostasy. There'd be no branches removed. There'd be no names blotted out. There'd be no apostasy. There'd be no Old Testament was backsliding. Backsliding is not a New Testament reality, but being, a, being an apostate was backs, definitely living in sin and being of the devil. And Paul warns the churches of this over and over again. So I, Zayas Saldivar, I can only speak for myself. I do not believe in once saved, always saved. Now, do I believe the devil can steal your salvation? Of course not. If you're living for God, the devil cannot steal your salvation. Can you forfeit and give it up? I believe you can. Uh, I do not ascribe to once saved, always saved in the eternal security sense of what the Calvinist would say. Once you're saved, there's nothing you can do to backslide. Because I think it's arrogant. If you believe that, you're arrogant enough to say, you say who's saved and who's not. And if somebody backslides, they were never saved. Imagine a pastor for 20 years, Pagani, mm -hmm. being a Christian, and then he backslides. And you, because you're once saved, always saved, he's out in the strip club. And now you're going to tell him you were never really a Christian. Because you have to say that if you're once saved, always saved. You have to say that because he was ne he can backslide if he was a Christian because once you're saved you're always saved. Go ahead, go. Somebody take it from me before I fall out of my chair. Go ahead, Mike. Well, I will say that in all my years of being in the Gospel Coalition, the Reform community, being in the non-denominational Charismatic community, these conversations never change anyone's mind. Right. And and Thank for you. me, I've, Thank and, you. And at the end of the day, what's going to happen is. You give a soundbite, they give a soundbite, people don't change their minds, but thank God for the Holy Spirit that reveals mm -hmm. all truth. It's good. And, mm -hmm. I, and I will say this, like I think it's a, it's a gross misunderstanding of human nature to delete out someone's will in this whole equation. And I, I know that Pastor Vlad actually has a phenomenal video. I, I, I use it as a resource. I don't even, it's it basically, he just so do did you like believe, a Wait, second. so do you believe in one saved, always saved, Mike? I do not. Okay, okay, okay. I was just, I and, got you. And I, I, not only that, but I co-sign what you said. Okay. And I agree with you. And I can quote all the scriptures. And we can go, but, but my point ultimately with once saved, always saved is, um, and, I, and I've said this for years and years, because I, I actually was identified. I, I feel like it's a bad thing to say publicly. I identified <laughs> Go ahead and confess, brother. We're here for you. Point. Listen, we're all here uh, for you. We're walking. No, but, you're in, you know you're what, Demon Slayer I'm, now. You're good. <laughs> Okay, I want to speak into the core of it, though, because I know some people are watching and and I've got my opportunity right now. There is a pseudo intellectualism that masks that is masquerading around covering up people that because here's what it comes down to. Are you dumb or are you stupid? Are you ignorant or are you educated? That's the binary thinking that we've put into this conversation. And it's like, oh, smart people are Calvinists and dumb people believe you. And I'm, t I'm speaking into the root of it because I've done, listen, guys, I've written 900 page, you know, articles. I used to have a blog devoted to this stuff. I took it all down. And at the end of the day, it, what it is is, oh, spirit-filled, Pentecostal, tongue-talking, demon-slaying people are ignorant, and I'm intelligent, therefore I'm a Calvinist. And to mm. me, at the end of the day, and I know that today I'm going there, people are like, man, Mike's really mean go ahead, today. Go ahead, go uh, ahead. I feel like I just have to say, like, my IQ is, is, is not connected in any way, shape, or form theologically because the truth is the truth. 
And so what happens is when you take a bit like, and because listen, I've sat under Tim Keller in the reform community, the Gospel Coalition here in New York City, I've been in those circles. And I think, and I've said this many times on the Demon Slayer chat, when you go to YouTube and you pick your preacher, people are picking a preacher that they feel validates their own identity about themselves. Yeah. And so what they're actually, cause watch, I dare somebody to do this. Go to any, go to any one of your favorite preachers, sort their YouTube channel by topic. And John Piper's number one topic is still going to be spiritual warfare. Stephen Furtick's is still going to be spiritual warfare. I've done it. And the reason why I say that is because no matter what camp you affiliate with, the topics that the people want to know about are basically the same. And what's happened wow. is we've said, it's like when you go to the mall, well, I wear this type of clothes because I'm goth and I'm metal. I wear this kind of clothes because I'm a jock. And I've, I wear, and what we've done is the once saved, always saved, literally these it, it's, I don't even know if I believe most of the people who believe in once saved, always saved actually believe it as much as it's connected to, well, the preachers I listen to, Mm -hmm. They they are intelligent. They don't scream when they preach. They're very mild mannered and you know, they have a British accent. So it's like a lot of this foolishness, I think it's not deep biblical study. I, and I think most of the people who are listening right, right, right now, if you're a once saved, always saved, and you're like, these guys, I'm telling you, these people are not necessarily reading their Bible, going in, they're watching a video, they're identifying with the personality of the person presenting the information, and then they're saying, that's who I am. And Good. so much of this is like, well, Isaiah, he gets mm -hmm. loud, so I don't believe what he says. That's mm -hmm. the logic of it. I was called a heretic for talking too loud and too fast. 500 comments yeah, on a heretic so for being too loud. Yeah, that's the confirmation of it. Yeah. And, and what I found, and, and I've said this before, but I, I want to say this more thing, and then I'll pass it on. Because I want to speak on like a subterranean level, like go really to the depth of it. I sat in rooms with, with Calvinists. I've sat or self-proclaimed. I've said, and I've said it, and I recently, and this is good news, because I want to end on the good news. My wife was telling me this the other day. We started to get a wave of apologies in the last year, year and a half, because people are going through life, and they're saying, my, what I thought I believed, it didn't equip me to face this spiritual battle. Yeah. And, 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 and for years and years, my life was easy enough to accommodate that belief. But then once I got hit with illness, once I got hit with divorce, yes. once, once I started going through some stuff, my paradigm started to change. So really, I've been getting a lot of apologists from former Calvinists and people lately who have been, been going through some stuff. Apologies so I, I from apologists. Yeah, there you go. And so will I come, I'll come out of this stream and I'll do an official theological, like line by line, how I feel about once saved, always saved. But for the sake of this discussion, are you letting your preferences block true theology? Are you letting your perception of someone drop uh, block true theology? Are you picking based on their personality or are you allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you into that truth? So good. Vlad, once saved, always so saved. Yay, no, nay. I'm not. I'm not uh, once saved, always saved. I, I have friends who are uh, uphold that. I'm going to read a statement from a very known preacher. I'm not going to mention the name of the preacher. And this is what honestly scares me about the position. And I'm, this may seem like an extreme position, but a people who hold on to that position, really, I feel like they subscribe to stuff like that. And this is what he said. He said, God does not require a constant attitude of faith in order to be saved only an act of faith in Christ. 
believers who lose or abandon their faith will retain their salvation for God remains faithful even if a believer for all practical purposes becomes an unbeliever his salvation is not in jeopardy you can give it back only if the giver accepts the return in that case the salvation God has a strict no return policy like I have a difficult time with that and scriptures like you know virgin's oil or virgin's lamp can go out you know a harvest can be choked with thorns you know a branch in Christ not outside of Christ in Christ who chooses not to abide in Christ can't will be cut off that's what Jesus yeah. says and I like I know people take that this is not what it means well Jesus said in Christ branch in Christ and yeah. if it doesn't abide and then Paul says in Timothy that the spirit says in the last days people will depart from faith yep by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons I mean and the things that you mentioned Isaiah you know not to neglect such a great salvation in Hebrews and you know that we can bury our talents in Matthew 25 we can receive God's grace in vain second Corinthians chapter 6 and not to look back after putting our hand to the gospel plow in Luke chapter 9 and so forth and so on and I mean I have a full video where I go through a lot of those verses what I like what um and you just had uh, Dr. Michael Brown, you know, he mentioned about salvation is like being in the aeroplane where you can jump out. I That's mean, you're good. not encouraged to. So you're safe in the aeroplane. But the idea that you can't get out by forfeiting your faith and churning your faith in Christ is we just don't see that in the Bible that it's, it's like a cartel. You know, you get in, you can't get out. Christ is not like that. We don't lose our choice. To reject him and to leave him marriage is not like that you know you don't get married and you're stuck if you want to leave you can leave but none of us do because we we're in love with our spouse and we go through struggles and so i used to be on the extreme side of this you know where if i had a bad thought that means i have to get saved again and so i lived with this fear that makes sure on my last minute of death or life life on this earth before death i confessed every sin because like there could be that one sin from like 15 years ago when i was in school and i didn't confess it and so there was this fear that i lived with and so and we're not saying that a struggling christian is the same as the practicing christian uh, as the practicing sin christian you know we're not saying that you can lose your salvation by falling into sin this is very different but if you forfeit your faith if you turn your 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 life away from Jesus and you say I don't believe in Jesus I don't want to do anything with God and the Bible says he who practices sin is born of the devil he doesn't belong to God people born of God they practice righteousness and so I always say the difference between a struggling and practicing sin are too different you know I am struggling basketball player Kobe Bryant was a practicing basketball player I don't even own a basketball in my house I don't play basketball I don't care about basketball once in a while I you know play a ball and so and that's just to me brought me such a freedom and relief to know that I am secure in Christ I am in Jesus I want to be in Jesus and if I choose to leave Christ and I choose to live in sin practice this sin then you know the Bible says that he will let me as a branch dry up and and be burned and so so I don't believe in once saved always saved but I believe that I am once saved and I will be always stay saved, saved. stay saved <laughs> some people say well yeah, how do you so some people keep saying well what point do you lose your salvation we don't know only God knows but I'll say if you practice sin 
That's not a line that I want to dance on and play with. I think when sin becomes a practice, and if you guys don't know what practicing is, it's doing something and rehearsing it till you're good at it. There's a difference yeah. between sinning and practicing, just like you go practice basketball and play basketball. I don't practice, but maybe I'll go play once every six months. There's a difference. When you practice, you're getting good at it. And when you start getting good at sinning without repentance, without any desire for God, I think you're playing with the line and I'm not trying to see how close I can get. Okay, how do yeah. I know... If I'm really speaking in tongues, and we'll go just a little bit longer here since I since we have you know a lot of people watching and you guys are still awake. How do I know if I'm really speaking in tongues or it's not fake and I'm not just making it up? And this question, boys, came like a hundred times. I'm not kidding. I get, this question kept coming so many times. Uh, I'll go first since y'all, you know, since y'all just gonna let me talk here. I think that the way you know if it's real is because you asked for something real. This is a very basic principle. Jesus said, if you ask for something good, I will not give you something bad. So if you right. ask for the Holy Spirit and said, God, I want your Holy Spirit. I want to pray in the Spirit. I want to be baptized. God is not going to give you a snake and give you a demonic spirit and give you a demonic tongue. Secondly, demonic tongues don't accidentally happen. You got to be intentional. Thirdly, and this is practical and most people will never say this. Number three, the best way to tell if you're really speaking in tongues, speak in tongues and then try to think about something else. If you can successfully speak in tongues while thinking about whatever else, you're probably being genuine. They did a, a, a study where they scanned a guy's brain. This was not Christian, but a secular study. Maybe you guys saw this. They scanned a guy's brain that was speaking in tongues. They did like an MRI on his brain. And the place that controls the language was not sparking at all while he was speaking in tongues. So this guy goes through a scan. He's speaking in tongues and the area of your brain that controls language was not firing off. It was completely blank, proving it wasn't your mind making up or praying. It was your spirit. So I could pray in tongues right now and think about all the stuff I have to do tomorrow and be speaking in tongues at the same time because it's not me praying or thinking. It's the spirit praying through me. That's a very practical way to do it. I don't know if you guys want to add to that. Uh, those are just some practical ways to know if it's real or not. The Bible says in, in the Gospels, uh, Jesus said, how can you being evil give good gifts to your children how much more will your heavenly father give the holy spirit to them that ask him but the verses before that say something that's very interesting in reference to answering the what if it's a demon luke chapter 10 defines demon using the analogy of a scorpion behold i give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions well the text um, about the Holy Spirit before saying your heavenly father will give you a good gift. It actually says, it says, how many of you um, ask God for the Holy Spirit? Will he not give you a scorpion? So he's basically saying that when you ask for the Holy Spirit, he's not going to allow a scorpion to be the one to give you the tongues. Then the next verse says, how can you being evil give good gifts to your children? How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that act? So it is impossible that if a believer is genuine in their faith in desiring to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, that they pray for it, that they're going to end up with the demon when the text actually says, mm, I love that the father will not allow you to get a scorpion. Mm -hmm. So understand that when you ask genuinely, you're going to get the genuine thing. So it's at least you can rule out that it's not the it's not a demon, at least according to what Jesus said in red letters. So that's a good place to start. 
Really good. Okay, I have a juicy one for you guys. And then I don't know what time you guys want to get off. We can get off in like one or two more questions. Um, how can the person, you guys have heard this a million times. I know, listen, I know you guys are tired of answering the same question over and over, but I need you guys to remember something. There's always new people coming in, always people that don't know these things. And we've all had to answer this. I, I'm tired of answering it, but we're going to answer it again. How can a person have the Holy Spirit living in them and you guys know where I'm going, a demon living in them at the same time? Because if if us four cast out demons from Christians, which we all do, we're saying a person has the Holy Spirit and a demon. How can they coexist at the same time? And here's, guys, let's just be real. This is what they always quote. 2 Corinthians 6.14. Okay, how could light and darkness dwell together? Well, first of all, 2 Corinthians 6.14 is not talking about demons. It's talking about unbelievers partnering with believers. It's not about demons being inside people. And Paul doesn't say it can't be. He says it shouldn't be. He says, what fellowship does light and darkness? They shouldn't be existing in the same area. And then I'll also say, and if you guys have any just thing to add to this, the Holy Spirit and the demons live in different places. We're not just a one finite being. We're different places. We're soul, body, and spirit. If you look at the Bible, it says nothing good dwells in the flesh. So the Holy Spirit does not dwell in the flesh. So could a demon live in the flesh? The Bible also says we're soul, body, spirit. So our spirit is united with Christ, resurrected, our spirit's dead. Now it's alive in Christ. We are now new creatures. We have the spirit of God. Our spirit is perfect, but our soul is being redeemed. Our mind, our will, and our emotion, which is the soul. So yes, demons can dwell in the realm of the soul, even though you have the Holy Spirit. All the guys that say a Christian can't have a demon, they have no Bible verse for it. There's not one verse in all the Bible that says, if you have the Holy Spirit, you can't have a demon. And let me just add this last thing. If it was impossible for a Christian to have a demon, there would be no need to ever cast out a demon again. And the reason why I say that is, Pagani, here's all we got to do. We just got to get them saved and then they can't have demons. So this is what most guys teach that don't do deliverance on YouTube and throughout the world. They teach Christians can't have demons and the demons leave when you get saved. Those are two things the Bible doesn't teach. And if those things were biblical, we would never need to cast out a demon because all we need to do is get them saved and the demons leave and then they can't have demons after they're saved. But that's not what we see in Acts chapter 8. You say, where is it in the Bible? Acts chapter 8. Philip, the only named evangelist in scripture, the Bible says, preached and cast out demons. Why are you casting out demons after you're preaching, Philip? Because getting saved does not mean all the demons leave. Jesus said, go cast out demons. He didn't say, go preach and get them saved and all the demons will leave. It's the same thing where all of you in the chat have got taught your whole life that Jesus wants to build a house in you, in your heart. There's not one place in all the scripture where Jesus said, I'm here, I'm on the earth now, invite me into your heart. It's just not biblical. Jesus never once told anyone to invite him into their heart. So these traditions that we teach, like a Christian can't have a demon, are just not biblical. And you can't say they are. You can't say they are because they're, they're not. And so what are your guys' thoughts on the ability of a demon to coexist in a person where the Holy Spirit is? Well, you find in Matthew chapter 13, something very interesting in the parable of the sower, you find that the seed that fell on the footpath was snatched up by, was snatched up by the birds. Mm -hmm. When Jesus goes and interprets that, uh, that, that parable, he actually says, these are they uh, that embrace the kingdom, but they don't fully understand it. And then the text mm -hmm. says, the, the devil goes right into their heart, mm -hmm. you know, goes right in the heart. Um, and he just snatches the word right out of the heart. Mm -hmm. First of all, how did he get in the heart? How is he in the heart? See what I'm saying? So it's actually saying that, yes, 
a Christian, a believer, you know what I'm saying? Because um, it's not talking about unbelievers. The parable of the sower is not talking about unbelievers. It's talking about four types of four types of believers. One who don't understand, which I believe most a lot of people antagonists against deliverance, they fall in that category. Then you got the one that's choked out uh, through the cares of this world. And then you have those who can't embrace, uh, they suffer persecution. And then you have the one that bears, that bears fruit. So we find in that text that, yes, the devil literally just went up in there and snatched it out. You also find Ananias and Sapphira. It, it, it'd be a long Satan stretch. entered their heart. Right. It'd be a long stretch to sit here and say Ananias and Sapphira were not never Christian. Then why would God deal severely with an unbeliever? Like, that makes no sense. He dealt with them severely because they were believers. And Peter said, Satan has filled your heart. You know, Mm -hmm. Ephesians chapter 3 talks about, um, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, neither give dwelling. It doesn't say opening it says neither give place that word place means dwelling place it means a dwelling neither Mm -hmm. give a dwelling to the devil Mm -hmm. like it's 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 endless in the scripture even paul's talking about it you know um so yeah christian can have it you know the holy spirit and a demon can can exist in a person, but doesn't necessarily mean like they're standing next to each other like that it's not like we're sitting in the same room together you know I look at it like this, is I think we're fighting, fellas, over a war of words. I think our struggle in this area is etymology, the war in the word possess. And I've said this throughout the years. I think possess is like a is a homonym. Possess has two meanings. It means to be owned by, and then it also means to have. So when we say a Christian can have a demon, people think that we're meaning owned by. No, we're not saying a Christian is owned by, possessed by a demon. What we're saying is a Christian can possess a demon. They can have a demon. It doesn't necessarily mean they are owned by the demon. It just means that there is a demon in the house that is owned also by the Holy Spirit. Which is also another mystery. But go ahead, Mike and Vlad. Well, no, I just want to say this briefly. You know, there all of our theology has an effect. So if our presupposition is that a Christian can have a demon, the effect of that is many people will be free. If the presupposition is that a Christian can't have a demon, then the effect of that belief is that many people will not get free. And so I always look at the presupposition and say, I would rather err on the side of assuming they can, therefore creating environments where they will get free than being on the other end of the spectrum where it's like, you're okay. And I'll tell you this, Billy Graham famously said that standing in a church does not make you a Christian anymore that standing in a garage makes you a car. And when I moved to New York City, I discovered as a church planter that everyone was already a Christian. I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. What I've come to understand is that they think they're a Christian because their mom told them they were a Christian. Come on. But 99% surrender is 100% disobedience. And so there's areas of our lives that are are not surrendered. There's areas of our lives we never turned over. And for me, with the presupposition of a Christian can have a demon, I've seen tens of thousands of people be free. And and the last thing I'll say is I've met Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterians, I've met Pentecostals that all believe that a Christian can't have a demon, but what they all had in common is that they are evangelists. 
Because when you are actively leading people to Christ and doing the work, I don't want to see another discernment ministry, and I'm saying this in air quotes, do a video about how a Christian can't have a demon. I want to see that YouTube channel release a thousand videos of them praying for people. Because what's going to happen on 743rd person is they're going to, they're, who claims to be a Christian, they're going to start manifesting a demon. <laughs> but the theologians will tell us that our, that our experience doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. But they themselves often lack experience. Their it's the great irony. Counts. You know, it's like our experience doesn't count, but their lack of experience doesn't count towards our argument. And so my thing is, and I've been so encouraged because here in New York City, we've been hitting the streets. One of the healthiest things that I can do as a pastor is try to minister to someone without a piano playing in the background and they don't know I'm Pastor Mike. And when you go out in the streets, I've been rubbing shoulders with every denomination and you ask them, okay, you've been in these streets for years. Do you believe a Christian can have a demon? They're going to tell you yes. And, and I, I think what's happening is when you're spending more time making videos for YouTube than you are praying for actual human beings, you do become pharisaical in that. And so yes. our presupposition wow. is based on compassion, love, mm-hmm. mercy, and the desire to see people get free. And that's where I'm going to stay. And a common denominator that discernment ministries, heresy hunter channels have, I'm just saying, this is a true statement here. They can get mad at this. They'll clip it and make a video. They don't pray on stream. I've never once right. seen any of the Heresy Under channels pray on stream. And number two is they don't practice any of this stuff. They don't cast out devil. Guys, I don't know one Heresy Hunter channel that actively lays hands on the sick, casts out demons, or is out preaching. Everyone yeah. I know does not believe in spiritual gifts, does not believe in casting out demons, are cessationists. They, they, well, they say, well, we're not cessationists. I spoke in tongues when I was 12. That don't count. That don't count. Oh, I used to be. It doesn't matter what you used to be. Stop talking about Uncle Rico. Stop talking about what you did in the past. What are you doing right now? I want to know what are you doing right now? So if you're not a practitioner and you're not in the school of experience, then you're just going to constantly give what you think you know. But experience changes what you think you know, especially when what you think you know is not in the Bible. Because just just be honest, the Bible doesn't say a Christian can't have a demon, and the Bible doesn't say once you get saved, you get delivered. If that were the case, there's no need to cast out demons in the book of Acts. Yet, as you just said, Pagani, Acts 4, they get filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 5, they get filled with the devil. Of course, it's possible. Guys, do you want to call it right here? Do you think this is a good time to call it? I know it's you guys are three hours ahead, so. I'm good. I'm enjoying okay. this. We haven't done this in a long time, so I'm good. Let's go. You guys are good. You want to keep going? Let's keep going for a little while. Okay. Please respond to this idea. You guys let me know because, you know, I'll be here till Wednesday. Please respond to this idea. If you bound a demon and cast it out, how come the demon gets released and keeps coming back repeatedly? Why do demons like basically they didn't word their question proper, but they're basically saying like, if you guys are casting out demons, why do the demons keep coming back? Why are the demons recirculating? And the answer is who said they're coming back? Who said they're recirculating? Um, if you look at like Mark 9, 25, the demons, the, Jesus said for the demon to come out and never enter again. If you look at Luke 8, 31, the demons beg Jesus not to send us to the deep or what the Bible calls the abyss. So when I, you guys, I would love to hear your guys' take on this. Like when you cast out demons, I cast them into the abyss just because the only place I know in scripture, they don't want to go. They say, don't send us to the pit. So I'm like, hey, that's probably a good place to send them. By them saying they don't want to go there, is a safe place to send them. If you look at Romans 10, 7, the abyss is the place of the dead. Revelation 17 says the Antichrist comes out of the abyss. Revelation 20 talks about the abyss where Satan will be bound. In my understanding, the abyss is like a waiting place where the devil's going to be held, where demons are held. Revelation 9 says the abyss is under the earth and smoke comes out like a furnace.
Chris. The demons will all be judged one day, the Bible says. They will mm -hmm. be judged, and the abyss or the pit, from my understanding, according to those four places, is like a waiting place until they receive judgment, and it takes them out of circulation. So, when we cast out demons, they're not being recirculated. We're commanding them to go to the abyss and taking them out of circulation. But here's the thing, there's millions of demons. So, of course, four guys or a hundred ministries can't exterminate every demon in the world, especially when the people that accuse us of this aren't doing deliverance. Come on, help us out. If you're not doing deliverance, don't talk bad about us. Join the army. We need volunteers, y'all. So if any of you want to stop being cessationist and not believing that Jesus still works, then come join us, please. We need all the help. We'll have signups after this. Go ahead. What do you guys think about this whole recirculating? Let me just jump in and just be a little bit, a little bit Bronx, you know, with people that say that, you know, I think that's a straw man that people say they use all the time when they and being right. an antagonist towards deliverance. Oh, but I thought you cast it out. Why is it coming back? Come on, man. I think they know. I think they know. I think they're just using that as a straw man argument and to be a little bit condescending or ambush journalism, whatever the case may be, wow. because obviously um, demons, we don't know them by name, but we know them by function. And when you bind yes. a demon and you remove the demon by function, there are other demons with the same function. Like, yep. what's the problem here? Like, so when they say, oh, but I thought you cast out a spirit of lust. Is that the only demon of lust? Come Obviously on, not. There's going to be good. another spirit of lust. So I think when, and, and here's what's crazy. Every time you hear them, those that use that argument, when they say it, they always say in a snarky, you know, you know, condescending manner because they know is a straw man argument there. They're just saying it to just be you know, just to be an antagonist about it. Cause obviously, um, in, this is why in heaven, um, we're all going to get a new name. Why? Because if Jesus was to say, Alexander, stand up in heaven, a million Alexanders Come in on. heaven are going to stand up. Mm -hmm. Alexander so the great might stand up next right. to you. <laughs> so, so, so when I hear people say, Oh, but I thought you bound it. Why is it coming back? Come on, man. You just Come being on. a, that's why I don't even answer questions like that. You know, when they say, you know, but I, I you know, if you're going around healing people, why, you know, why are you- That was my next question, empty the hospital. You don't see Jesus laying on people on their hand and talking about bald head grow back. Like that don't make no sense. That's just an antagonist mm -hmm. being, being an antagonist at the time. That I don't even answer questions like that. Like that, I'm just throwing that in there because most of the <laughs> Let people- Let it rip, come on. Come on. Pray for my bald head, come on now. Right. And I and I think we none of us like the extremes of charismatic we don't charismania we don't uh, ascribe to those we're not laying hands on people for hair to grow back we're not believing you know some of these things that people teach so yeah I think again these are these are strawman arguments and then they say like well if you guys can heal the sick why don't you empty out a hospital uh, because that's not how divine healing works none of us believe that we can heal every single person on demand and Jesus didn't do that Jesus didn't heal every single person we know that's right. what the Bible says about it Does, do any of you guys want to add to that of uh, Ladder, Mike. Well, I, I just want to I want to say real quick. Like, let me jump in real quick, Pastor Michael. Ahead, he ahead, ahead, I have tried to do that. So to sit here, I I get frustrated when I hear these people say, you know, why don't you go to a hospital, empty out the six, empty, uh, empty out the hospital. I've tried to do that, and each time I got kicked out. I've gone to the hospital and I've gone in and I prayed for the people and I get kicked out all the time. So yes, we have tried to go and do it. They just, there are rules, there are protocols, there are HIPAA laws, there's all these laws that stop the Christian from going to the hospital and emptying out hospitals because I've tried it. And I say that with a clear conscience. I've gone to the hospitals and I've tried to go up in there and pray for the sick and I've gotten kicked out 
every time. They don't allow us to do it. They don't allow us to pray for the sick on hospitals and empty out hospitals. Why? Because they need that money. So don't sit here and say that Go Christians ahead. are trying to do it. Hospitals don't let Go us off. do it. Hospitals are not letting us do it. So Come sorry, on. Ouch. No, listen, listen. Don't, I love you. Don't, don't apologize. You literally stole my thunder because I was going to say the last time I was in Ukraine, we did get access to a cancer ward. We did get access to a hospital and we prayed for people and we've got medically verifiable miracles on video. But to those who don't believe, the video will never be enough. I mean, it's even the ones, it's, if they're going to relegate it to the power of positive thinking, you know, it's placebo, whatever, you know, unbelief is unbelief. We still have to enter by faith. But at the end of the day, like you said, um, I'm going to pray the prayer of faith. I'm going to believe that people can be healed and until my last breath. Because again, it's about, I'm going to keep going back to that word presupposition. Like I'm going to assume God wants to heal people and that's how I'm going to pray for you. And when you do need a healing, guess who you're going to be calling? Not your cessationist friend. You'll be calling me, <laughs> you know? And it's yeah. like, I think that what we've got to do is get back to that place. Assume that he came to give us life and life more abundantly. Abundantly. Because if you look at the assumptions that some of these theologically minded people are producing, you're like, man, that is a dead God. Yes. I, I don't serve that God, you know? Yeah, that God doesn't speak. God doesn't heal. Mm -hmm. We don't have the power of God in us. I'm like, go to Acts chapter one. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Let me just say this. Do any of you know any cessationists in Africa? Do you guys know any cessationists in India? Do you guys, I'm, I'm serious. Do you guys know any cessationists in South Africa, I don't know any cessationists that are popular on YouTube outside the US. It's a Western gospel that says God no longer moves in power. It's a false gospel that says God no longer does miracles. God no, how are you gonna, how are you gonna tell God what he does? How are you gonna tell God he doesn't do miracles any longer? How are you gonna tell God demons aren't cast out any longer? God can do whatever he wants. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Like, is that hard to understand? If he did it yesterday, he does it today, and he's going to do it forever. So we need a little false gospel alert button. Okay. Vlad, you want to add that at all? At all? No, okay, Vlad. I want to talk to you guys about this. Okay, here we go. Do you need to renounce to be delivered? And do you ever need to give money for a demon to come out? I think there's a dangerous teaching going around. We won't mention any person. Name. Don't look at me like that, guys. I'm not going to say anybody's names, but there's a dangerous... Pagani won't even look at me right now. There's a, there's a famous teaching going around that says... You have to renounce a list of things, like a hundred things before you're able to get the demon out. And then sometimes you have to give money for your deliverance. I'm going to speak for myself. I want to hear from each of y'all. No one gets to skip on this. So don't be trying to, there's no skip button. Don't try to find a lifeline here. I personally think if we teach people, they have to renounce like 50 things before they get delivered. We're putting a yoke on them and we're putting a religious burden on them. I think renouncing is great. The Bible says to renounce the works of wickedness, renounce things. I teach renouncing it. I tell people let's renounce. I've done it. I believe in it. But I don't believe that you have to do a ritual, a ritual of renouncing or you can't be delivered. I also don't believe that money, okay, I'm going to say it on record here. I don't think money is ever attached to deliverance. I don't mm -hmm. ever think ever, 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 ever there's a time where God says, mm, that one ain't going to come out until you sell $100 into the ministry. So for me, I don't think there's a ritual to deliverance. I, I teach renouncing, I teach you in unforgiveness, but I think God can do it even at times without that. And then secondly, for me, and then you guys could touch on each one, I don't think God ever says, so have somebody sew $100 till they get a demon cast out of them. And there's people that have accused us for 
of charging for demons to come out when none of us charge for deliverance, none of us charge for, I've never charged for somebody to be delivered. Uh, go for it. Someone jump in. What are your guys' thoughts on the renouncing and the money? Don't be scared. I agree. <laughs> That's it. Come on. Nobody has anything on this. Oh, I've got, I, I got something though. Go ahead. Here's the thing. I just listen. I'm trying not to dominate because I'm feisty. No, tonight, no, dude. But... I, they all say I talk too much, but y'all are going mute on me right here. Well, well, here's the thing. People who need deliverance are desperate. Deliverance yes. is for the desperate. You're willing to undignify yourself. I'll throw up. I'll vomit. Uh, you know, whatever. It's like deliverance is for the desperate, but desperate people are easily manipulated. Mm. And I believe that. I mean, I'm telling you, it's scary to think about the consequences of what some of these ministries are going to face in judgment because of the way that they've manipulated desperate people. You know, the thing I'll say is, Desperate people often do not know Christ, but they do know religion. And mm. so when you give them rituals, that makes sense to them. That's why they fall prey to it. Oh, well, when I go to mass, I have to do rituals. When I go to church, I do rituals. So this guy or this woman has a series of rituals that are going to help me get free. And it's very unfortunate because um, I, I end up, a lot of deliverances I do, people have, I'm the third person they came through because they, they went through rituals. They went through, and some of them, many of them often end up in a worse place. So I would just say, I, I tell this to people all the time, I don't necessarily get better at deliverance. I become more surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And 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 I think that as you go on that journey of surrenderedness, like you said, there's no ritual. It's it's there's best practices. There's biblically based things that we anchor what we do in, but ultimately relying on the Holy Spirit. But these false deliverance ministries, the ones who are doing it for money, a lot of times what you'll see is they're not relying on the Holy Spirit. They're relying on the ritual. They're re it's a hustle. It's a formula. It's the sleight of hand. It's, uh, you know, it's them saying and doing the right things to create a mental and emotional response that looks like deliverance. And I'll tell you that stuff to me in and of itself is demonic because the more you minister, you know the phrases you can say. If you told me, go to the church, get everybody screaming, you just say, no weapon formed against you will prosper. There's like six scriptures yeah. in a row that you unload your clip and everyone jumps up. And I think what happens in the realm of deliverance is again, people, they've stopped relying on the Holy Spirit and then they start relying on, well, I know this, this will get the reaction. This will get the response. And then the charlatans take it even further and say, I can monetize that. So, but here's the thing, the best way to, um, the best way to, instead of calling out those individual ministers, expose them to the real thing, do the real thing. You know, yeah. it's like do real deliverance instead of wasting your time calling out fake deliverance ministries. That's good. And I think we should never stop anyone from doing deliverance. And that's why, again, I don't will never come out and say, mm -hmm. oh, this person's a false deliverance minister because the, Jesus said if they're doing deliverance, maybe not the same method, maybe not the same banner. Mm -hmm. But hey, don't stop them because no one that does miracles in my name will speak bad about me. Mm -hmm. um, Pagani, what are your thoughts? Ritualistic deliverance. You have to renounce 50 things. Um, so $100 or... Leviathan stain. Here's what, here's why I believe that Jesus condemns. I think he really genuinely condemns the idea of sowing a seed uh, for deliverance. It's found in the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus went up a sycamore tree to see Christ. Christ ends up in his house and out of nowhere, without any prompting from the preacher, who at that moment was Christ himself, the subsequent response of Zacchaeus's deliverance 
was that immediately it touched his pocketbook. He said, if I stole money, I'm going to give it back. So, um, so the, the idea of giving and deliverance, giving is the byproduct of after you get set free in gratefulness and thankfulness. You bless people, but never the recipient of or the initiation of. Because the text actually says that after he already started, you know, giving, he said, deliverance has come into this house. He actually says, he says, deliverance has come to this house um, without any prompting. Zacchaeus was already moved by the power of God okay. after he got free to be able to give, to be able to be a blessing. It was never the initiation of. So it wasn't like, I'll um, give me a seed and I'll go to your house. He said, I'm going to your house. And when he walked in the house, Zacchaeus by default, it doesn't even say how he got delivered. It just says somewhere in the dinner the dinner process, he got delivered. And then Jesus says, deliverance has come to this house. And the response of that was he started, he gave back um, everything that he stole and he started doing alms. So I think the picture is there. You don't need to prompt and to um, encourage people to sow in order for them to get deliverance. If they receive true deliverance, if they have the means to do so, they will give, they will give, but not to receive, but it will be the byproduct of. So we don't charge for deliverance. As a matter of fact, all four of us, we condemn that act. Uh, we've never charged for deliverance and we would never ever in the future ever charge for deliverance. That's a personal vow that all four of us and others have made. Um, and Vlad agrees. For those of you in the chat saying, what about, what does Vlad think? Vlad already said he agrees. Right. Yeah, I think that, well, so when it comes oh, wait, maybe to- Wait, maybe he doesn't, hold on, go <laughs> ahead, Vlad, go ahead. When it comes to, because uh, a chapter before Zacchaeus, Jesus does tell a man to give everything he has so that he can then follow him. It's almost like he throws this challenge and somebody could take that bite and say, look, Jesus pretty much told the guy to sell everything that he has. There's just only one difference. Jesus didn't tell the guy to sow all the money into Jesus's ministry. Mm. Um, I think the person that we're uh, talking about uh, who there's a bite of her clip and I'm just going to say her right away um, of asking uh, to sow a seed um, and this person was in our ministry. Um, I don't believe that this person asks every person to sow a seed before they get delivered. Um, this happened maybe one time or I don't know how many times it happens. Um, I know people who ask for people to sow, for them to experience financial breakthrough or for them to experience spiritual breakthrough. Personally, that is not how um, I see things. For those of you who know my ministry, I even give books for free, something that a lot of people don't practice, which I don't believe that that is the right way and everybody else is the wrong way. I think that I judge things by the fruit. In the Bible, there are instances of men of God coming, but this wasn't a rule. For example, Elijah coming to a widow and saying, hey, give me this and then God's going to bless you. Like, I would feel very uncomfortable asking a widow to share her meal with me first and before God blesses her, but it, it worked. It was what God was using and what God was doing. Um, in our ministry, you know, we don't have conferences uh, that we charge, but I'm going to go to a ministry this week that has a charge for the conference. Now, that's not my personal preference, but I can't say, well, this is what they're doing is wrong and it's, it's mm -hmm. false. And so um, I think that when it comes to deliverance, especially like there are those who charge for deliverance sessions, like uh, if, person that we all respect and honor um, and and it's not necessarily you have to understand 
and Christians right away freak out. And, and just hear me out, guys. I I'm not advocating. I'm because I believe in giving all this stuff for free. I practice that, but it's not charging for deliverance when a person has their whole ministry receives funds through those um, fees that people pay and that's how they support the staff and they support the family you're not charging for deliverance your bible says his workers worthy of his wages and so this is what i tell people if you don't like it like move on to other people there's yeah. so many people that do it for free Vlad, let me let me clear something up really quick yeah i i wasn't talking about charging for deliverance because i don't think there's anything wrong with like a guy like bob larson who does it full-time i think he's doing it full-time he's worth he deserves it if he delivered de did deliverance on me i would give him double what he asked for period right. i i'm sorry i, I was confusing about, here i'm about, so, about sewing before getting delivered no, right? yeah that's no i'm talking about specifically do you ever think there's a demon that won't leave until a person oh, okay. gives a hundred dollars i'm sorry uh -huh. I, could, I was confusing yeah yeah so no no i don't i okay, don't believe okay. that but i know the, the verses that were used at one time that I saw one person using the verses from Malachi okay. where the Bible says that, you know, he will rebuke the devourer. But gotcha. the issue is that that's not, that's, that's God not a doing yeah, the that's deliverance. Yeah, that's not a and demon coming out of someone right. in the New Testament. Had nothing to do yeah. with the ministry of deliverance. And so I think that sticking that verse for a person who maybe felt, you know, led to tell a family, hey, you need to sow this or you need to sow that, uh, like sticking that verse into that situation, that, that is completely, completely not okay, true. Okay, so it's, I think I, we all agree, just so that no one yeah. takes this out of context, we all agree it's okay if another ministry wants to charge for deliverance. Like, so they say, okay, I'm going to sit with you for four hours, $200, that's $50 an hour to sit with you and do deliverance. We all say, all four of us say, that's fine. We don't do that, but we're fine mm -hmm. with people doing that. We don't think it's wrong, but we don't do that. But if you're doing that full time, because none of us do deliverance full time for our, our income. Okay. So, but if somebody yeah. else does, let them do that. Praise the Lord. And if you don't like it and you're in the chat here, then don't go to them. Like it's super yeah. simple. Don't go to them. But so we all agree on that. Okay, so we, we think it's okay to do that. We just personally don't. On the other side, we all agree it's not okay to say, while someone's manifesting, if you don't give $100 right now on Venmo, the demon's not going to come out and your, your daughter's going to stay bound. Do you guys think that's wrong? Uh, yeah, and I want to say, because yeah, okay. I already spoke I just wanted to make this. sure that I, I we made it clear. Yes. Yeah, I want to go back real quick because I did speak into this. So there is a phenomenon, and you just kind of proved what I was saying, where people are connecting the results to the finances. And that is, we're all against that. And But it even goes further because there's a lot of people that I've been ministering to lately who are telling me these stories like, you know, I had to get $500 for this to happen. $300 for this to happen. I mean, that they've monetized this whole process. And then unfortunately, these results do happen. And what I think can be confusing for people is the enemy will now access other demonic networks to make those things happen and confirm that word that's released. And if you don't have wisdom, it's like, and so the reason why these ministries get away with connecting finances to the result is that the devil is the father of all lies and cooperates mm. with it. And mm. then people are like, look, it worked. And it's not till much later on that they realize it actually was, it made me worse off than I was. So I just wanted to double back on what yeah, I said. Yeah, I wanted yes. to make sure that just so no one takes what we're saying out of context, that we are clear about those two yeah. principles. Because the Bible says a workman is worthy of his hire. I taught this last night. Paul was financially right. supported financially supported jesus and some of you in the chat are going to hate this but get over it jesus was financially supported by a group of business women oh women yeah, supported on. jesus yes financially so over and over the new testament speaks about giving and so for me let me just say this 
if any one of you or anybody in the chat did deliverance on Isaiah Saldivar, say I sat with you for an hour, I'm going to give you finances after. I don't care if you don't want it. I don't care if you don't ask for it. I value your time. And I, if I'm going to go get my, some of y'all ladies get your haircut. Don't act like it wasn't $200 to get a recolor. Okay. If you could spend $200 to get a recolor, why are you mad that somebody's asking for $100 or $200 to get delivered? Do we do that? No, but we don't have nothing wrong with others who support their families and ministries doing that so i just think it's weird how so many of you have no problem giving thousands of dollars to ungodly companies and then you get all mad about giving any money to ministers like it's just so weird to me the double standard there but i do think it's abuse to say while somebody's manifesting if you don't sow right now that your daughter can't be delivered I, for me that's just that's not new testament and i i think that's abusive i i could be wrong right. but i just think that's that's manipulative it's abusive and these people are desperate and it literally i mean it makes me emotional because i'm thinking these people are so desperate so broken and you're going to tell a lady who has no money as it is and like let's be honest a lot of these people are, are struggling as it is they already spent a thousand dollars to fly there they already spent all this money to get there they're desperate they waited three hours in line and now you're going to tell them oh sorry you know you're we're going to hundred dollars till leviathan comes out i mean it's like jezebel's 200 leviathan's 100 i just to me i know it sounds it sounds like i'm making fun of it but i'm not it's it's what people really do and it's not just the girl you're talking about vlad i've seen multiple people do this on videos and i just think we have to call it out if we're like demon slayers and we're guys that preach it and teach so much on it more than anybody online um i think we have to say that that's dangerous to start doing that because that leads to other things you start abusing. It's, like, it's just the start of other financial abuses. So are we all on the same page on that? I don't want to be like super, yes. okay. I just wanted to make sure that's clear. Okay, uh, we've been live two hours and 15 minutes. You guys want to pray and call it there? Come on, a few more questions, Isaiah. Okay, you okay, just, okay. Uh, all right, all right. No, hey, hey, I'm down. Okay, I'm down, I'm down. I, I didn't know you guys, I thought you guys might be getting soft. I didn't know if you guys wanted to keep going here. Okay. Can de uh, this one's a good one. Can demons read your mind or know your thoughts? A, a lot of people think demons can read your mind. Maybe we don't all agree. And I like when we don't all agree because it creates good dialogue. What do you, what do you think? Let somebody start this off here. I'm hogging the mic too much tonight. Okay. Here's where. You Let's guys disagree. Come on. Yeah. I hate, I, this is where I believe you guys are going to disagree with me. Now <laughs> I'm not absolute on this, but I, through scripture, it appears or it alludes to that, yes, they can read your mind if they're already inside of you. I agree you with know? that. I agree with that. Yes. So yeah. the book of Ecclesiastes actually talks about, you know, first, let's let's define that Matthew chapter 13 talks about the birds. Mm -hmm. I said this earlier. The mm -hmm. interpretation of the bird is the bird is the devil or demons. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it actually says, it says, curse not the king, neither in your, neither in your bedroom, neither in front of people and neither in your thoughts, lest a little bird carry your thoughts uh, abroad. Now, the text is clear. Why would a bird know what I'm cursing in my thoughts? Why would a bird know what I'm, if I'm thinking it, no one can hear it. But if you want to connect line upon line, precept upon precept, and maybe not saying that what I'm saying is absolute, it looks like. So the bird, the bird is the devil. And then bird, bird is still the devil in the Old Testament. The analogy is there. Mm -hmm. If I curse the king in my thoughts, how can a bird know what I'm thinking unless it's inside here and then it leaves and then it goes. And then the secondary byproduct of that is all the consequences that come with that. So 
it appears that maybe yes, that if the devil is already inside in a demonized Christian, he might know what you're thinking because he's already inside. He's hearing the dialogue that's going on in your head. I, but I'll, I'll prove it to you, and I agree with you. If a demon's in you, it could read your thoughts. And the way we can prove it is some of you hear demonic voices and you think things and they respond to your thoughts. Come on now. The demon's in you saying, go do this. And in your head, you go, I'm not going to do this. And the demon says, yes, you are. I'm going to make you. How is the demon responding to you in your own head if it can't read your thoughts or hear what you're thinking? So if it's in you, we, I, do we, I don't know if we all agree. I think for mm -hmm. sure they can read your thoughts. For sure they can hear your thoughts. If it's outside of you, what do you guys think? If a demon's not in you, do you think it could come and just brush up against you and rub your arm and think and get I in your head? It, and I think it's when, when it's outside, it becomes a... They're, they're pretty good at reading our behavior as well. And I think they're pretty good at also um, studying us as well. I mean, a lot of the, uh, you know, micro expressions can tell you a lot about what person feels and so they've been here around around i think when they're on the outside um on the inside i honestly don't know fully uh, for sure i mean i'm leaning toward the fact that they could read um if if they're on the inside but if they are on the outside i feel like that they could just pretty much guess and they could be really good i could i could read my mind my, my wife's uh, thoughts really good now and stuff so because i can look at her facial expression i could kind of assume and usually guess with 100 maybe 90 percent accuracy what she's bothered or what she's thinking about so yeah and I want to say too, demons have been studying people for thousands of years. They've been here yeah. long before we were. I remember I've told the story. You guys have probably all heard it and I'll tell it in one Pentecostal minute. I was casting out a demon and I couldn't get it out. And so I started preaching to the demon. Have you ever done that? I command you in Jesus name. Jesus was at that hill on Golgotha. He went to the cross on Calvary. I started just preaching the gospel because I ran out of things to pray. And the demon said, don't tell me about Jesus. I was there when they crucified him. The demon spoke out of the person. And you know what I said? You lying devil, you weren't there. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, no, the demon was there. And I realized something. Here I am, 21-year-old wow. guy in a living room casting out a demon. Wow. And this demon has seen kings, rulers, mm -hmm. dictators, presidents come and go. Guys, remember, you might think you know a lot because you studied the Bible for four years and you went and got a little Bible college degree that you've done nothing with. These demons have been here for thousands of years. They have seen thousands of years of the same attitudes, the same personalities, the same human slavery, the same racism, anger, bitterness, all the stuff you're doing. You think you're so smart because Christians can't have demons. You think you're so smart. They laugh because they've watched this for thousands of years take place. Thousands. So we can't act like demons are stupid. We can't act like the devil's dumb. And the, the worst thing you can do is to underestimate your enemy and then get in a boxing ring with a guy that you think is zero and 40, who's really 40 and 0. And then get, get your tail whooped running out of the ring going, I didn't know he was strong. My pastor every week said the devil has no power. If your pastor says the devil has no power, he's lying, okay? I'm just telling you, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he's the God of this world. He's the ruler, the prince of the air. He's the prince of demons and he controls the whole world. So he's not weak. He's not nothing. He has real power. We just have more power and we have all power and all authority. So I think, man, that's a revelation for some of y'all. Like he's been here a long time. So don't get up here with your seminary. I mean, cemetery. I mean, seminary. I, did I say cemetery or seminary? Seminary degree, thinking that you're going to, you know, because you have a PhD, ABC, more degrees in a thermometer, more titles in a UFC fighter behind your name, that you're going to be able to come against the enemy like nothing when he studies people. And so I like that you said that, Vlad. You got me there on the little rabbit trail there. What do you think, Mike? Can demons read your thoughts in well, you, listen, on you? 
Well, I'll add to this. Ancestral spirits know your bloodline better than you do. Yep. And I remember, you know, my parents got divorced when I was young and my father passed away prematurely. And I remember my mom over and over again at every stage of my life saying, oh, your dad used to do that all the time. And it was mannerisms. Wow. It was the, now I had no relationship with him. I never lived in the same house. But neuroscience tells us that there's even be behaviors. And, you know, it's like there, you see families that are musical and it's in the genes. And so I think that they read reactions. Mm -hmm. I think that ancestral spirits know you because they knew your father, your grandfather, your great grandfather, and they're watching you mm -hmm. on even a biological level manifest many of those same behaviors. And so you're right. I mean, you, you, that's, we, that's why there has to be such a reliance on the Holy Spirit, because at the end of the day, we're, we're outmatched. If it's just in your own flesh or your own ability, there's no way. You know, um, you're, you're outmatched. And so for me, can you, can they read your mind? I think there's a basis internally where they can. I, I love the arguments that you guys presented, um, mm -hmm. externally, but again, it's that pre assume they can, and you'll, you'll be more victorious than assuming they can't. That's good. I think it goes back to, you know, everything's not a demon and stuff, but the thing is, why not yeah. just pray for people and treat it like it is? And if it's not move on, like the worst thing yeah. that can happen to you is you got prayer. So if you treat <laughs> everything's like a demon, which we don't think that's true, but let's just say you do and you pray about everything and pray for everybody. Oh, wow. You're giving out free prayer. Praise the Lord. Like there's no damage to praying for somebody and seeing mm -hmm. what God would do. All right. You guys want to stay on? Let's go. Maybe this will be the last one. We'll see. Christians and drinking. Is it okay for a Christian to drink? I'm a new Christian. This is what the person says. I'm a new Christian and I'm seeing conflicting answers. Is it okay for me to drink? Guys, I know what we might be thinking or saying, but there's a lot of baby Christians. There's a lot of unsaved because a bunch of you are cussing in the chat. So I know you're not saved in here <laughs> and they want to know, they want to know, can I just, just drink a little white claw here and there at the prayer meeting? I mean, what do you guys think about drinking? Um, I think that we see that the bible in the old testament does not prohibit israel was drinking a lot of wine and i mean it was part of even god's blessing so if you study the, the old testament you'll see that there was drinking wine in god's presence withdrawal of wine was the evidence of god's judgment and wine was the alternative to water and you know wine was drunk with meals and uh wine brought joy and so but then it was also uh, a encouragement or a warning about the abuse of alcohol and um, you know especially the proverbs 23rd it goes through all of these sorrows contentions and complainings and and everything personally i uh, abstain not just you know from getting drunk but abstain from drinking and i believe that it's a better practice to abstain we see in the bible you know the bible does say things like in romans 13 do not walk in drunkenness and some people would argue well the bible is clear about being drunk but it's not clear about not drinking and people will say this so i'm just gonna you know uh practice that in moderation i really feel that anything that we do in moderation people that follow us will begin to do in excess and yeah. alcohol doesn't deliver what it promises um, God does not lead us to evil he delivers us from evil and I believe that alcohol abuse goes directly into our brain where the communication center of the body is it interferes with God's purpose for the mankind which is to fellowship with us because alcohol directly goes right here and it messes with your ability to communicate the Bible tells us to have a sober mind 
And you can't have a sober mind if you're not sober in your body. And alcohol is really a numbing mechanism. Um, it's pretty much something that numbs you, but it's not something that can nurture you. The scripture says in Ephesians, for me, Ephesians is like the nail in the coffin where it says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. I yeah, really it says, which ruins your life. It says, do not be drunk with wine, which ruins your the, life. Yes, it's, it's the substitute for the Spirit-filled life. You lose control. The Spirit gives me self-control. Alcohol takes away my control. The Spirit is the carnal life, and Christian life is supposed to be a crucified life. I really believe that sipping saints will become slipping saints. Go ahead. And later, Go ahead. Say it for those in the back. Lead Alcohol will lead to other sins sooner or later. And so I've noticed, I've met pastors who say that the moment the alcohol was allowed or encouraged in leadership, the first thing that left the church was prayer. Yes. Somehow they couldn't find time for prayer meetings. Nobody could show up to prayer meetings. And so instead of leaders being in prayer, now they became, you know, some, some people that drink, they, they begin to exercise that. And sooner or later, I feel like when you allow alcohol, you're not going to have room for the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that you're not going to have Holy Spirit. There's this Holy Spirit's moving. It's not going to be there because you've taken something that is counterfeit, like Mike likes to say, counterfeit comfort. So um, in my case, we uh, not only abstain, we encourage our leaders and we, we set the bar high in our leadership and in our team and in our church membership to be filled with the Holy Spirit that you don't have to argue for alcohol. And if you're there maybe in the chat and you feel that it's your calling to alcohol, argue for Jack Daniels and to argue for alcohol. <laughs> come on. Come on. Go argue for the Holy Spirit. Go yes. argue for the Spirit-filled life instead of being intoxicated with alcohol. So good. And, and let me just, there's millions of testimonies of God delivering people, and I'm one of them from alcohol. I drink almost every day. Uh, why would God deliver yeah. me from something and then allow you to do it? If it's okay, then God would not need to deliver us from it. I want to give just a quick verse here that I pulled up. For those of you that say, oh, you know, well, it's just one drink. It's okay if I just drink one glass of wine. And they argue, well, it's good for you. Well, yeah, so is running on the treadmill, but you're not doing that. Look at this, okay? Proverbs 23, 31. Look at this, Mike. This is not about getting drunk. Just check this out. Uh -huh. Proverbs 23, uh -huh. 31. Do not gaze at wine. Okay, don't even look at it. When it's red and when it sparkles in the cup, it goes down smoothly. But in the end, so what happens after you drink it? In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons you like a viper. That's the only verse I need. Looking at wine, don't look at it. It'll smoothly go down, but in the end, it bites you like a snake and poisons like a viper. Now, who's the snake in scripture? According to systematic theology, the principle of first mention, that means the first time something's men mentioned in scripture, it holds precedence for all of scripture. Mm -hmm. So in the Genesis, the snake is the devil. So if something is related to a snake, like why am I going to walk, uh, partake? Proverbs 20, verse one, wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. This is not about being drunk. I just want to make it clear because mm -hmm. everyone says, well, as long as I'm not drunk, brother, this is not about being drunk. Wine is a mocker. So do you want to be a mocker? Then drink it. Do you want to be a brawler? Then drink beer. Come on, y'all. You know what it was like when you drank beer, you tried to fight everybody. Why? Because beer is a brawler. Whoever's led astray is not wise. Look at this, Proverbs 23, 21. For the heavy drinker and the glutton, all right, we're going there. We'll come to poverty and drowsiness with clothed with rags. Ephesians 5, which you talked about, Vlad, do not get drunk on wine, which will ruin your life, which leads to reckless indiscretion. Instead, so what should I do if I'm not drinking? Be filled with the Spirit of God. I, guys, I know maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. What is up with all these guys? Well, it doesn't say it in the Bible. I just read the Bible. The Bible says it's a snake. 
It doesn't cause you to pray. It doesn't cause you to live holy. The world calls it spirits. So you don't want the Holy Spirit, but you want to drink spirits at the club. It's a bad testimony that causes others to stumble. It kills brain cells. It's a numbing agent. It's uh, related to 50% of all violent crimes are alcohol. Could I, could I keep going? Are alcohol related? It destroys, it ruins, it's the devil's juice. Come on. It's, there's no place in the Christian life. And here's the problem. The Christian narrative in America is, well, what's wrong with it, brother? And you guys say that about everything, but let's change the narrative and say what's right with it. Name one positive thing alcohol has done in your life, and I will drink with you. There's not one. There's not one positive thing. And if the only argument has, oh, it's good for my heart, then stop eating McDonald's and go get a gym membership. And that's also good for your heart. You don't need to drink alcohol to do that. Okay. So I, I really am like, as you guys can tell, man, I'm hard. I'm hard against alcohol because it ruins lives, man. It wow. ruins marriages and families. And you're going to debate and try right. to say, well, it's no big deal. As long as I'm in the privacy of my own home. I don't yeah. know, man, because God sees still. Go ahead, guys. Come on, push back. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me. No. 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 What do you think? I add, you know, um, here's what your viewers, our viewers don't really know is, is that there is an epidemic of all of the depression, all of the suicide, all of the calamities that are happening to pastors and leaders that you see that's happening all over the news. Oh, A yeah. large percentage of it. All is of them. Notice mostly all of them. They don't share that part of the story on the news because they want to protect the family's privacy or their right to tell the story. But behind the scenes, these pastors are committing suicide as a result yep. of can't break free from alcoholism. Mm -hmm. They're dying in drunken and driving accidents. Yeah. Uh, all this mess ups with sleeping with their secretaries and stealing money is these these sipping because they're living in the realm of tipsy in these green rooms mm. and, it, and it leads to hotel rooms and then it leads to bedrooms. You guys don't know this, but us four here, we know what's real. the real stories of a lot of these unfortunate Things that are happening to a lot of a lot of these suicides are the direct result of preachers feeling like I got this alcohol problem yep. and I can't get free and I've tried everything, you know. So trust me when I tell you that there is a lot more harm being done with consuming alcohol, even if it's not in the place of drunkenness, than there is with oh I just I just want to I just want a glass and uh, trust me when I'm telling you it is it is causing there's an epidemic of really 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 bad um pastors being um just falling into uh the, the most deplorable sins as a result of living what I call in the realm of tipsy. I'm not getting drunk, but as long as I stay in that middle ground, we'll get tipsy long enough, you're going to be drunk regardless. Yes. Yeah, yes. Well, you know, I always say that drunk actions were sober thoughts. Mm. So drunk actions were sober thoughts. What alcohol actually does is it empowers you to turn your sober thoughts into drunk actions. And as a matter of fact, it shuts down the frontal lobe of your brain, which is the decision-making center of your brain. And it's funny, though, that the Holy Spirit is compared to as empowering because it's like, man, I want to preach the gospel to my friends, but I'm so timid. I'm so shy. You receive the Holy Spirit and you're empowered to do that internal thought. Now I can do it. And so it's like, 
like this intoxication with alcohol versus the intoxication of the Holy Spirit. Good. What we really need is people to rise up and be like, man, I can't believe I did that. I was Come under on. the influence of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. I can't believe I said that. And so, because I know for me, drunk actions were sober thoughts. And when people try to blame something on alcohol, it's like, no, you, you took the alcohol in to empower you to do the thing you already wanted to do. So in the same way, if you have a righteous desire, allow the Holy Spirit to fill you and empower you to fulfill that. And the other thing I want to say as a former alcoholic myself is I've, I've, I've unfortunately witnessed many people take their first drink of alcohol and 100% of them hate the taste, but love the effect. And anytime you have Come to, on, anytime bro. you have to force something down over and over and over again. Wow. And that's why when Christians are like, I drink alcohol for the taste, it didn't start that way. You're lying. You didn't start liking alcohol. You forced it because you always like the effect of it. And you're still going back to that effect. And it's destroying your life, your ministry, your marriage. And, uh, you know, so my, my thing at the end of the day is, is just trying to help people stop living in the realm of self-deception because mm -hmm. really for me i remember sitting in with a christian counselor they asked me a series of questions this was over 15 years ago now i answered all the questions and he goes i want to tell you you just rated yourself a high function alcoholic wow and it was like i was so self-deceived and I, I think that the reason why the these videos that we put out about you shouldn't drink alcohol have so many comments in the comments section, it's not the truth versus lies. It's the truth versus self-deception. Wow. You're lying to yourself. You know why you're drinking. You know why you're doing it. And you've got to get to the place of humility where you finally just say, okay, you got me. Mm -hmm. That's so good. That's a great note to end on. Guys, if we don't end, we're going to be on here till tomorrow. We've been two and a half hours. I'm going to pray and then we'll, for those that want to give, I'll stay on for like five or 10 minutes so that you guys can give. And then I'll sow into each one of my brothers. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for what you're doing tonight. We thank you, Lord, that you are raising up a generation of demon slaying, tongue talking, laying hands on the sick, preaching the gospel, mm -hmm. walking in the power of your spirit. I pray, Lord, of every single person listening, that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit. Your word says, if, if you ask, Ask that you'll give us if we ask if we're hungry if we're desperate so tonight lord we ask you to fill us with the holy spirit and power we ask you lord to heal our marriages we ask you to deliver us you said to pray deliver us from evil and tonight we mm -hmm. pray lord deliver us from the yes, evil lord. father examine yes, our hearts and see if there's anything in our life mm -hmm. that is against you lord i just pray that every unclean spirit would leave now in Jesus' name, Satan, you have no power, you have no authority, you have been defeated. Come up and out now in Jesus' name. We break the back of unbelief tonight in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. We pray that you'd be supernaturally healed by yes. the power of the Holy Spirit. According to Psalms 103, all sickness, all disease was paid for mm -hmm. on that whipping post. Lord, we pray yeah. for divine healing, for divine breakthrough. I pray you would awaken pastors. I pray you would awaken marriages. You'd restore passion. Bring the prodigals home tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name. I pray, God, break the power of deception in Jesus' name. God, help us to stay pure. Help us us to walk holy help us to remain humble i pray lord that we would continue to be beggars in spirit god let us yes. continue to stay humble never let us get yes. puffed up never let yes. us get arrogant or proud or in yes. competition but keep us mm -hmm. hungry keep us humble keep us mm -hmm. desperate i pray yes, lord, lord that you would unify your body that your prayer was let them be one as i am one with the father lord i pray that you would bring unity not unity not uniformity 
but mm-hmm. unity in the body of Christ, that every body part matters, that the hand doesn't say to the eye, we don't need you, but we all yes. need each other. I pray, Lord, you'd bless finances. Those in the chat that are sowing into your works, the, the local churches, the missionaries, the ministries, the online missionaries, whatever, Lord, I pray that you would open the windows of heaven and bless them. Open up opportunities, open up doors, open up jobs, promote, whatever you can do, Lord, I pray you would do it for the advancement of your kingdom. I pray, Lord, the atheist watching, the agnostic watching, the Muslim, the Jehovah's Witness, the Mormon, the Catholic, I pray, Lord, that they would have a born-again experience, that you would yes, open yes. up their eyes, you'd break the scales of deception yeah, off yeah. of them, and that they would be brought to the truth and to the light. Mm-hmm. And if you want to know, well, how do I get saved? You must repent. I want to make sure yeah. we say there's 5,000 of you on. If you need to get saved tonight, it's not, oh, repeat, and Jesus will come in and build a treehouse. No, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, you must repent and be baptized. Mm-hmm. So I pray, Lord, genuine repentance would flood over this broadcast right now. Mm-hmm. I pray genuine repentance would flood yes. over. And anyone that's unsaved that wants to be saved right now, just begin to repent of your sins. Begin to lay everything down and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I believe you died. I believe you took the penalty. You imputed your righteousness onto me. And I want to follow after you and serve you the way the Bible says. Father, we thank you tonight for deliverance. And some of you can keep this going all night and pray in your house. You don't have to just wait for us. I thank you for deliverance. I thank you for healing. And I thank you for salvation tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Come on, man. Guys, This we're breaking records here. Two hours and 40 minutes. We got to do it more often. Let's just all agree here that we're going to do these broadcasts together more often. Super, super amazing time. Is there anything you guys wanted to shout out before we get you off? I'm going to do a quick like five minute after show for those that want to give. Don't click off, y'all, if you're still in the chat. Anything you guys want to shout out or talk about or announce where they can follow you? Anything like that? Well, I'm just going to post in the chat rooms where they could follow all of our social media handles. So, um, awesome. I just like for those of you that are watching, it'd be an honor to have you guys follow us on social media. So as I posted in the chat room, just feel free to just press subscribe, notification bell on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and TikTok. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to shout out YouTube. I am dangerously close to 50,000 subscribers. Let's get it. So just subscribe it's the only thing i care about right now other than the gospel is (laughs) subscribers (laughs) get it subscribe no just follow Vlad. no don't don't subscribe to vlad because vlad already passed me in subscribers okay don't everybody make sure you i'm just kidding i'm kidding i'm kidding don't subscribe but he doesn't need mike and pagani he doesn't need any subscribers send some to some of us little guys down here any more subscribers but vlad's doing amazing i'm just great to be here grateful to be here no vlad i'm seriously i know i'm joking but i'm so proud of you bro you're blowing up you're reaching people here here's the thing when one of us wins we all win and when the kingdom yeah. wins we all win and so even though you passed me vlad i'm a little salty i'm cheering you on i love it bro and i'm still the youtube bishop so you know i'm still wow. a YouTube. no i'm kidding i'm kidding i love you guys i'll text you guys after the broadcast i'll just stay on for a few minutes here Thank you. all right love, love you guys Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.